Podcaster online. Authorization accepted. Upload confirmed. Begin transmission. Gifted unto Lorgar, it symbolises our alliance, Zadkiel told him. Angron pledged himself to our cause, and with him all the world eaters. Skrull regarded the chain axe, thick veins stuck out on his forehead, beneath his skull helmet, exasperated by the heat of his impotent wrath. It is written, world eater, that you and all your brothers will join us when the fate of the galaxy is decided. The Emperor is lost. He is ignorant of the true power of the universe. We will embrace it. Word bearer, Skrull said, his lip curled derisively. You talk too much. And that was a passage uh, from Battle for the Abyss by Ben Counter. The next book in the Horus Heresy series. And the gentleman whose dulcet tones were reading that book was my partner, Greg Dan. And that, introducing me so lovely, was David Wojtek. Hello, hello. We're back. <laughs> Eventually, we're here. Oh, thank God this book is done. I mean, I'm so glad we're getting this recorded. So, Battle for the Abyss. Yes. And the, the long-awaited Battle for the Abyss coverage. We can literally call it that, the long-awaited Battle for the Abyss coverage. I don't care about the connotation. The literal. Some people have been waiting specifically for this book. Oh, oh really? <laughs> Just to see. Uh, there's been um, some to see how we'd do it. Some okay. because we have no wish to read it uh, or, or reread it. Um, so, I yeah. That. Okay. I see what you're saying there. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, there you go then. Uh, so, Greg. Indeed. We have a contest. Let's start off with something fun and good and positive. We'll have fun. Well, no, we'll have fun through the through the thing. Oh, I, yeah, I think we're going to have fun with it. But okay, yeah, we have a contest though. Indeed. Uh, if you didn't listen last episode, um, we we're giving away a copy of Space Hulk, the new improved, slightly adjusted edition. That's not at all the old edition. Twenty ten. Exactly. So, um, Greg, why don't you tell them what they have to do? Ten. Must be late in that, wasn't it? Yeah, tw- last year, whatever it was. Yeah, anyway. Um, we have a thread on the forums under the show section, or is it under the competition section? I've had a mind blank. Uh, well, under that under that top section, it's got uh, Garage Hammer episodes, and then it's got After Illinois episodes, and it's got contests. So it's under the contest bit, isn't it? Yeah, it's under the contest uh, bit. You have to send us a uh, the description of your Space Hulk party that is embarking on a mission. Um, we should have put a word count on it. <laughs> Are we talking about the Alpha Legion one, or that someone sent in someone's the? Because I saw a couple that I haven't actually sat down and read yet. Because I must admit, I've got a. I'm looking over at my book pile at the moment, and it's pretty huge. <laughs> And I've been trying to go through some stuff, and I'm like, I need to sit down and give like a good set of time to read through a couple of them. Yeah, 
we we probably should have set a word limit. Unfortunately, we can't publish anyone. We're not a publish publishing house. That's true. <laughs> but uh, we will read it. Well, it's up there, yeah, it's up there for people to read. Other people can come and read it if they're interested. Yeah, I didn't quite. Exp- I just yeah. In my head, I was thinking kind of a list and a little paragraph or two, and I suppose um, yeah, people We're who- fan fiction. I got yeah. it. People who can write think differently, which is fair enough. But, uh, yeah, I just didn't think that one through, really. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't even thought about that myself. So, <laughs> oh, boy. But, yeah, um, for anyone wishing to enter, the, the length of the piece is not necessarily a, a mark of whether it's going to win or not. So, Oh, yeah. You feel free to write write a bit. Um, feel free to send in your couple of paragraphs. It's um, It's all good. All right. Yeah, that's true. Don't be intimidated. Just because someone else wrote something really long doesn't mean that that's that's the one right there. All right. But let's jump into the battle for the abyss. I like the yeah. cover. Yeah, as as always. Um, bit of a different cover for this one, wasn't it? Because it's, uh, it's inside a ship and spacey stuff behind it. But it looks um, looks pretty good. And you you wonder why kind of when you read the blurb and it's like you know word bearer ship and blah 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 and then you've got oh, a thousand suns dude and uh, ultramarines dude and there's some cool stuff going on and yeah. actually you know that, that might even be a Mark Six helmet in the background which looks a bit which uh, oh yeah oh I might have to look at that picture in big in the little boat front cover at the back with the chainsword. Uh, yeah, looks like his helmet's a bit pointed. Right. Which would be Mark VI. Oh. Which wouldn't probably have been around there. It may have been. There's, um, depends how deeply you want to get into how strict you have to be on the fluff and things. But, um, yeah, that was just me looking at it just then. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a nice little picture. Uh, I have a question because I I don't recognize everything. I see the ultramarine. That's the is that the world eater down by his feet there? The red with the white. No, that's the that's a thousand sun. That'd be Emotep. Oh, so yeah, you got to remember. Okay, so forty k thousand suns are painted blue, but their pre heresy armor color was red. Oh, okay, so, see, this is where I get confused. And I looked, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not certain. I might as well. And there's a big sun there, which I should probably have realized. So um, the the World Eaters pre-heresy armor color was white and blue. Oh, so we don't know. I'm not even certain who these other guys are. Okay. It's interesting because the hardback for this book is not actually out yet. Although they have released the, uh, the, the audio, I was talking very briefly to Laurie Golding, and um, I don't think that that was... Uh, what they wanted per se, but the audio was released. Kind of, they wanted essentially the reason the hardback isn't out yet is because this book is having some rewrites. Uh, oh, really? Pa- partly to make it fit in with the fluff, because uh, as we go through the books, this book actually contradicts or just slightly skewers a few kind of important things anyone who's read the first heretic um, not the first heretic anyone who's read betrayal will know 
that there's a fairly big one that it contradicts. Not necessarily like majorly important and breaks. You can get round it, kind of thing. But so they're bringing this book into line with the rest of the heresy. So it's taken a few rewrites. I, so, are, are, are they are they doing anything? Are they touching up anything else, or are they just stringing out inconsistencies? I ha- well, I haven't really been told anything, but my belief is that they may be polishing a few sharp edges um, and a few things like that as well. Um, I have heard because all the hardbacks have the author uh, like afterward in talking about the book, right? Um, and I have heard that maybe Ben Count has said he doesn't want to do one for this book, and I don't know any. This is this is like you've got to take all, all this with a pin, pinch rumor. of salt. This is rumor. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I mean, if it comes out and it hasn't got an afterword by Ben Counter in it, that's fair enough. So. But I don't know any reasons why why he's just not bothered. I think there was something, maybe just the fact it's been so long since this book came out, and he's just like, I've done that, I've dealt with it, I've moved on. Um, so, yeah, it will be... <laughs> I'm not going to read it again. No, I was going to say, yeah, if they touch it up, I let's not go back and definitely. revisit it. I mean, no offense. I I'm already, I've read it twice. I am kind of interested to to see what they do and i know as i say a, a few bits of it will be changing dates or or changing the name of something or the class of something um because as we talk through this book there are a few things that jumped out at me just first time around but um yeah so with the glut of stuff coming out from the other side of gw i've i've had to stop reading the rest of the books in the series i actually now i you know i so You've been reading all the new stuff. I think I stopped at about book 17, and that's kind of where I stopped because with all the other reading I have to do, it's not like I can read the old one and the new one. No, well, yeah. I'm so. piling up a book, uh, a pile of books at the moment to read, so it's all good fun. So going forward, bearing in mind that this book is due for some updating, um, if not purely on facts as we look at them, because there is no truth uh, in people's perceptions but um yeah there may also be some rounding off of the edges of the writing as well all right cool this is i mean this is the book where i've pointed out to a couple of people that we're reviewing it um i won't mention any names but a few people have said why bother just move on no we're not missing we're not and that's what and they're like yeah but it's it's not great no it's not so let's get on to it i guess yeah, might as well crack on, I suppose. Um, all right. So I like the cover. I like the title. The Fury Abyss is obviously the name of the ship. It's the battle for the ship. These. Uh, at first, I was just. I, it sounded like something like about. I thought it had to do when I first picked it up, and I didn't know what it was about. It was like, oh, maybe something with the warp or something like that. These guys have already fallen in the abyss, into the uh, the uh, that abyss. Now it's a fight for this ship, which was, like I said, not exactly what I was expecting when I read the title before I picked it up and read the back cover. Well, there is a lot of that space kind of thing going on as well. So yeah. as well, more than one. But so I guess we'll start rolling into this, okay? Um, and I started reading the beginning, and I, I, you know, the Mechanicum is always kind of neat to me. I've always found that kind of an interesting yeah. thing in here. You know, so when it starts off, I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. You know, you got the drone went from Mars to Jupiter, 
It's a one-way trip. Um, I almost forgot about the drone until the end of the chapter. I just, you know, they just mention it. Sure. And then um, you got this guy Thule on this asteroid out in Jupiter. And I thought this was pretty cool. Like, in the beginning, I'm like, okay, it's a Martian orbital of Jupiter. Uh, they don't care about looks. It's all about function. Um, and I like I like this look at the Mechanicum because I don't think that we've had. No, it's our first view of Mars, um, and it's it's hyper industry, you know, with the red smog cloud, you know, effectively making clouds, and uh, and Jupiter is a shipyard. It has shipyards floating around it, so you know this is this again is we've talked previously about the scale of forty k. This is. This is the whole of Mars is one big factory. Yeah. It's basically become a shipyard. Yeah, so you got this shipyard outside of Jupiter. And I like this little bit here. Uh, when I was saying how it just, it was all, you know, this big ugly thing, but it just worked. And it says, uh, I like that. What considerations were, are such considerations of little concern to the Mechanicum? What place did appearance and the aesthetic have in the heart of the machine? Precision, exactness, function, they were all that mattered. So when I first started real and you know i mean everybody knows by now i pretty much you know i don't play 40k i i just read this like i've read the rules for the game and i've pretty much read been reading this so like i didn't know jack about the mechanicum so every little bit like this i thought was pretty cool like i was excited when i first started reading this because i'm like i uh you know I'm, i'm liking this so far this is kind of a neat thing going on here um then it cuts over to uh, Zedkiel, the fleet captain of the Furious Abyss. So we've had two paragraphs of quite interesting stuff, and then hey, on it's the f- on page two, though. Of I mean, or you know, the second page. I'm like, oh, this is good. Yeah, third paragraph in, effectively. <laughs> then- <laughs> third third section in, and we get um we get our kind of tone setting for the rest of the book. Unfortunately. Rather yeah. long-winded and pompous speech. Yeah, like a you know a, a bad guy from an '80s film standing up, stroking his moustache. Oh, sure. This, this this he's tying someone to the train tracks right now. I, I actually think that it may have been a conscious decision. Uh, just the amount of times I kind of referenced it. This book feels very much like an an '80s an '80s action film, like. It- the big bad guy, the small group of, you know, heroes with the unlikely one in there as well. And it's just a bit, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I'm reading this, and at first I'm just like, okay, so he's like a typical word bearer because from what I, I'm, I'm pretty much, what's the guy from the original trilogy who showed up? Erebus? Erebus, yep. That's like all I knew of the word bearers by the time I got to this one. So he's up there, he's like, we're going to this and that, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I'm like, okay, typical word bear. So, you know, and some, you know, he, here's the thing. He's such, a, he's such a gas bag. He's such, and I'm, here's me saying he's long-winded. But, like, throughout this book, Zadkiel is such just, even his inner monologues are long. And you're like, dude, you know. But there is a lot of exposition for him to do right and i'm just sitting here and i'm like wow you're just and and you forget that they're space marines like i just don't picture him as like 
I'm like, when they get there, they're going to whoop your ass. You're not going to have a chance when, like, when when a space wolf shows up, or or this this uh, world eater. But it's, I mean, he he's like such a, a scheming, weird weasel, conniving. Like that's just the role given to like, you know, not someone of a physical stature. I guess of a space marine. So I'm just not picturing him as like at all badass. Although he's a space marine, so he, you know. Does, I mean, does that make sense what I'm saying here? Because I'm just, I'm like, I, yeah. The way he's written goes so against what I picture that that I, it's like I have even trouble picturing him as a space marine. Yeah, yeah, I understand what you're saying there. Yeah, um, it's yeah, the 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 nature of the word bearers is to do this, but the way it's written, but yeah, I suppose it's a natural kind of thing to to view him more as as the religious icon that he is. Yeah. supposed to be rather than a space marine, right? But, I mean, if there's a if there's a, if there's a, that that eighties movie of this, you know, he's he's the guy in the suit who's calling all the shots and doing things, and he knows what's going on, and he's tolerating all these people who are worse than him, and he's not one of the fighters. The fighting guys coming in when they finally get to this is the guy who, when they get to him, is like all you know sniveling and trying and hiding to get out of the way. And I, literally, that's the, the character that they wrote. That's the character you always see played. And you put that in a space marine body, and I kept forgetting about it. That's, I guess that's how I'm saying. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, I think also during his speech, particularly, we start to see there's a lot of very short sentences. Um, and I must admit, when I was first taking the notes on this I actually had to stop myself because I was reviewing it because it's a bad book and I had to go right okay let's take that back and let's just kind of read the book and, and accept it on merit as what it is but very early on I just felt there was a it was very stop start a lot of short sentences and it just broke up my reading pattern quite a lot oh I figured that was just his speechifying the way you're giving those quick little bursts those those little don't think it's just in the speech mm. but you know even if it is in the speech i'm not saying it's necessarily like a huge bad thing or anything but it just it did break me off of what i was kind of trying to concentrate yeah um because I, I we see i i think we see it quite a lot through the book actually in general oh i i, was, I didn't i guess i didn't pay attention I hate to say that. I just I didn't notice. And now I'm going to have to pay attention as we're going no, through this. Because it might not be that way. It's just the oh. way that I've perceived it. Maybe it's wrong. So now we've got these uh, these word bearers. And I, I admit, I was kind of, like I said, the first time I read this, I didn't think it was that bad in the beginning at the very least. You got the word bearers. And even though that guy's kind of a tool, the Zed kill, there's still, the rest of them are space marines, all in brand new armor. The old ones were burned. Now they have this red armor etched all over with the word of Lorgar on this ship. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Hey, going to give the word bearers, who so far have been Erebus that I've met, who seems weaselly for a space marine, and this guy. I'm like, okay, maybe we're going to get this this unit of these sort of fanatics. Let's see them in, in the fight, you know? I'm like, okay, we're going to see something cool um, with the word bearers. So I, I like I this part. And then, the, you know, the ship's huge. And lots of descriptions on the ship. Yes. Um, I mean, does it say right here that it's the biggest ship ever built? Yes, biggest ship ever created. Can yeah. withstand an assault from planetary defense barrage. This was the first issue. Um, 
that the way they describe the ship, it's not the biggest ship ever built. I know it's supposed to be the biggest ship ever built, but the description wasn't particularly great to make it so. Um, but that that kind of stuck stuck out at me and back. And then right at the, you know, to make it even worse, they've uh, taken a big spaceship and put a book on the front. Yeah, that's really weird. Uh, which is like, ooh, okay, what, whatever. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, okay. Uh, you, know, you know what? Okay, whatever. But when we get up to that actually happening, I'll make fun of it then. But yeah, um, uh, yeah. so there was that, and there was um, one other bit. I was, the reaction of the Astarte. So, um, I don't know if I can really picture it in my head. The ship, like he keeps talking about how it's the biggest ship ever, and I keep thinking of all the really big ships from. From you know forty k that I've read about, and I was like, even thirty, I'm like they're still pretty got to be pretty big. I'm like, I, I'm I know he keeps repeating it, he keeps talking about it. I mean, he mentions it like a bajillion times. Biggest yeah. ship ever. I think I think if I'm remembering correctly, because when I started this book was a long time ago, um, the Gloriana class ships, which are the ships, the capital ships for each of the legions, the the the, the flagship ships, right. The, Spirit, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They're like sixteen. Oh, I'm trying to remember now. I'm going to get this wrong, am I? Up to like twenty-five kilometers long, something like that. And yeah, that's crazy. Way this ship was described was like not anywhere as big, and yet he's trying to say it's as big, and that might just be an error in that. And when we see a description later on in another book of. The class, this class, you know, this uh, ship, Furious Abyss, um, it's made very clear that it's a monstrosity. So, yeah, it's cool. So yeah, they're, they're shouting death to the false emperor already. Yep, ship's got one purpose, and that's to take out the ultramarines. I like the ultramarines. I think they're kind of neat. I know they get a lot of stick, and the people hate them, and you know, but. I, I, I'm not around it enough to know why. I just know they're pretty cool. Because um, they're the poster boys of 40K. So ever since, like, kind of, you know, time time immaterial, um, every, you know, the Ultramarines are the Space Marines. So oh, okay. When, when GW want to advertise something, this is they, they mix it up a lot more now. But when they have a Space Marine army in a store, it was always Ultramarines because they are the most... In 40k, they're the most codex, the most, um, they fit the ideals of what a space marine in Warhammer 40,000 is. Because at the end of the heresy, it was the ultramarines who made the codex. Oh, okay. So they are the, they are the ones to look to for, you know, this is the way things should be done. And then the space wolves do their own thing and the raven guard do their own thing. Um, so yeah. So that's what they're the poster boys. You know, GW always it's like here are the here are the Space Marine Ultramarines. And that's why that's why the film was Ultramarine. I gotcha. Yeah. So uh you get a little more into let's go back to the Mechanicum guys. Another interesting insight in the Mechanicum, you got Magos uh, Epsilon, who doesn't understand the Astartes emotional reaction to the Furious Abyss of the Abyss. He's like you know, he, he talks about how their flesh you know yeah, and uh, but Kel uh, Kelbor Hal shows up, and um, he wants to witness this momentous event, not for pride, but to mark it. 
There is yeah. no room for emotions in one so close to oneness with the Omnissiah. Yeah, so he's the ruler of... Um, he's the fabricated general, basically the ruler of Mars, the head of the Mechanicum cult. So he's the most powerful per thing being in the Mechanicum. Which is really cool. Yes. And he's allied with Horus. And here they're talking about it. You know, he makes Horus armor, makes him weapons and other things. Cause, why? Because Horus said, do whatever you want. Whatever the Emperor said you can't do, I couldn't care less about. Yeah, and uh, and Hell and a few others were keen to uh, investigate some dark law that they'd been told to keep their hands off. Well, he says, he, now, it mentions that they're on their search for the d- divine machi- machine. Okay, so okay, what what is... Can... Well, probably uh, artificial intelligence, because that's one thing the Imperium uh, denied. You will not have a, a real artificial intelligence. Okay. So all the all these like all these mechanicum priests and things like the ones who are, have power are started off as human things who've replaced you right. know almost like nine, some of them have replaced like ninety eight percent of their body, um, but essentially they started as a human. Right. But yeah, the 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 Imperium of Man were like right. You're not having artificial intelligence as a as a real thing. Oh, but I mean, do we know that's what it is, or is that just what we think? That's that's an assumption on my part. Oh, okay. Because I'm because I, I was like, is there any idea why the emperor said no? Like, did we, I mean, did they? I mean, did they ever go into any of that stuff, or is that just sort of left? No, I mean, um, no. It's, I think it's one of those things where that was left off, and they were told not to meddle with too much alien tech as well. Okay. Those were just the kind of agreements that were put down. Oh, okay. So, cool. Well, I just figured the Emperor must have a reason for keeping them away from certain things. I was just curious if they ever discussed that, but that's cool. Reasons. I don't know if they discussed them explicitly, but they could be tied up in other things that we see down the line. Okay. But then the ship takes off. The biggest ship ever takes off. And the Fabricator General actually feels some measure of awe when watching it, like he was able to compute a measure of it. Um. Yeah, as he stands watching, watching right. it, and then he leaves, and he blows up Thule and everybody on it. Absolute secrecy of tantamount importance. I like this part. This this is awesome. This I thought was cool. Again, let's see. Well, before you move on to that, the plasma engines of the biggest ship ever made. Right, scorching a blue swathe of fire and heat across the surface of fuel. Of fuel. But there's no mention because Cowboy Hell's just standing there watching it. It's like that would kind of because it was built inside of it, wasn't it? And and it was built with it. Kind of it was it but was it's a satellite. I thought it, I didn't think it was 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 it built inside the actual thing? I thought it was built outside with was, all no, the scaffolding and stuff. Yeah, but it was because it, it was secreted away, wasn't it? So it was kind of half covered. So you've got a, a covering around it. Even if it's just, but I'm just thinking that jet wash, that power that's being displaced at that point, you wouldn't want to be standing anywhere near it, I would have thought. Oh, I just kind of pictured it like when you take off from spaceport and stuff like that. Like that's on the outside and you're on the other side of the protective glass and the rock and stuff like that. I thought he was inside. That's a hell of a protection. Well, I mean, like out at, uh, 
I'm just assuming out at like spaceport, like a uh, Galaxy Quest when they take off in the ship and then they're leaving the little port. They just this, is, port. this is this is 40k, so it's and it's 30k, so it's a massive force to move that massive brick. You know, you know no, true, but I mean you're in space. It was a bit. Yeah, you are in space, but that, that there's still a jet wash that is going to come out the back of the flipping thing. That's and true. There are forces that are, uh, 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 you know, within that. Um, oh, yeah, okay. we'll finish somewhat by the fact you're in, you know, out of an atmosphere. But yeah, I don't know. Plus, plus the other thought was it's on this asteroid, and um, I mean. It must be Kel's control to have this thing being built without anyone noticing. That's a huge undertaking to keep that secret. Oh, that's, I guess you said that's why it's way out there, though, past yeah. everything else. Yeah, but even so, the resources required to build it, kind of people would see stuff going out and things. So, that I mean, that's a massive undertaking. And in some ways, that shows you how... Kind of maybe how serious it was and how how powerful hell is. I think we're probably looking into this more than what well, I'm looking into this more than they thought. But if you look at it like that, to keep this secret when it's there is quite cool. Yeah, it is. I guess I just figured. Well, you know, they could. It's, it's a big. It's a big damn universe. I'm figuring, especially someone like the Fabricator General, who's making Some, decisions. He can, the system isn't a big damn universe, though. This is in the soul system. This is all. This is all within. You know, the seven planets we know. Right, but I'm saying he could bring in materials from anywhere, couldn't he? Like, and you don't keep it. He could, he could, and I'm, I'm just, you're on, you're, with how kind of, essentially, they're walking computers, so people see information, you know, they talk to each other in binary, the mechanicum, a lot of the time, because it's quicker and, and, you know, less filled with awkwardness. So, okay. A lot of resources around and, and, you know, machines will pick it up to hide it all, to create a ship in sight in, in secrecy. Um, and then launch it in secrecy as well. But no well, one that's no- true. I guess I didn't even think about that. Yeah. No, no one noticed a huge ship suddenly appearing and kind of disappearing, really. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was a little bit silly. It was kind of like, oh, yeah. We've got this big secret ship, and it's like, well, surely most of the people around the solar system would have seen a, the hugest ship ever. Yeah, I guess you got a point there. I just saw the massivest ship I've ever seen. Someone will mention it to their friends. Yeah. But, you know, and, and the solar system is a busy place, even back in 30K. Yeah, there are ships everywhere. There's resources coming in. There's people going out. There's there's people coming to Terra. There's rogue traders, and there's... You you name it, there is stuff moving around. People must see this thing. I so, got you. Okay. There's all of that as well. But wow, I didn't it, even think about that. Didn't even think about that. Totally went over my head. Was I was just like, okay, it's a ship. They're building a big ship. I'm, I'm taking that. I think. Um, book. I think it's a. I think it's. It is like sitting down watching the latest Arnie film, and you're just going. There's going to be some big b- explosions. There's going to be some random thing that turns up just in time, and there's going to be a little bit where it jumps from here to here, and you're just supposed to know that they worked it out. They, they did. They always work it out. They work it out. So, yeah. End of chapter one. Much technology was lost in Thule's destruction. It was a steep price to pay for absolute and certain secrecy. In the end. The Fabricator's general will had been done. He had willed the death of Thule. 
So, hey, let me ask you about this. So they've blown up fuel, and someone would question that, surely. Well, yeah. Well, he mentions that someone's going to question that, but by that time, all the real evidence is gone. So I got a question. The big ship. The, well, the big ship's gone. He blew it up after the big ship left. You don't think they can look back on logs and stuff? What, they yeah. just videotape? They got security cameras on Jupiter? Come it's on. Well, yes. No, 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 no. You think it's too... <laughs> No, no. Um, okay, yes, no, yeah. When the explosion goes, they would look back and they would be what's going on. And this way, if someone tried to get into the solar system, they, they would, wouldn't know about it. So that seems to suggest that if someone was leaving that they hadn't seen before, they would know about it. And we see later on how seriously they take like, defense of the solar system. You know, you are absolutely correct. I'm just, uh, I'm just, I figure, <laughs> I figure we shouldn't both pile on. So. Um, let me ask you about this with the little triple titles under each chapter thing. What do you think of that? Um, I, I, I'm not that bothered by them. Um, it doesn't bother me. I just, I guess, I don't get the point. I mean, when I read this, when that when that little thing comes up, I'm like, oh, that's what the little title thing was. Yeah, I don't tend to pay too much attention to them, to be honest. Yeah, I'm I'm going to read it and find out anyway. I, well, I guess if you read that, you can sort of like, okay, I guess it's a little little clue as to what's... I mean, the chapters, each of these chapters are only like 30 pages long. A little yeah. clue to what's coming up in 10 pages, I guess I don't need. And I don't need chat... And I'm not making fun of this, because this isn't the only book that does it. No, I just, absolutely. I just don't quite see the point, but so... If I'm going to read something, I'm going to read it anyway, so I don't need to be told what's coming. Yeah, so chapter two. Yeah. Uh... Triple chapter headings. Oh, I okay. I did read this already. Uh, Brother Captain Hector is practicing. Keeps adding extra moves and flourishes and stuff. Uh, keeping control of his breathing. Um, and I like he mentions that he's under control several times as you're reading this. And I wondered if that was like an ultra, you know, maybe that's like an ultramarine thing, you know, that he was trying to put across, as opposed to just a space marine thing. Because he mentions it more than once that he's constantly in control. He's in control. Yeah, I think maybe that's um, looking forward to the the world eaters and the space wolves. Maybe. See, yeah, I think that's probably put in there to show that he is a proper soldier. That, yeah, he's... that's what I thought too. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, maybe. So he finishes and puts on his armor. He and five hundred of his brothers had been away from Ultramar for almost three years. Um. So. Horus had ordered the Legion to the Veridan system. So all the Ultramarines are rendezvousing on Kalth, gathering the forces and supplies, and they're all, the whole damned Legion is supposed to meet here and go after this orc invasion force. Now, there's obviously a few who are way out who can't make it. How big is this Legion? Isn't this like the biggest flippin' Legion? Yeah. So like, for all uh, the Space Marines to come to Kalth. Yeah, well, that's massive, yeah. That's massive. Is that like... I mean, that's... I'm trying to remember now, and off the top of my head, I think it's over a couple of hundred thousand Marines. Put them all in one place to smash them, but damn, that would think like... I, I would just, wouldn't that be like too much to smash? Uh, uh, um, uh, anyone who's read uh, No, No Fear will, will know exactly kind of what, what, what plans are afoot. Okay. But... but the idea is to 
you know, if you catch all those off guard and you get to fire first, then yep. you're not going to be fight. You're not going to be fighting that many of those Marines. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I think you know, um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it's a bold plan. So this guy's on the Fist of McCrag, which is a lunar-class battleship. Is there a certain definition of that that people should know or that I should be knowing? Not really. Okay. Um, if you are interested in that kind of thing, uh, Battlefleet Gothic. I th- used to be able to download the rules for free. I think you still might be able to. Um, and those ships, there's lots of the classes of those ships. Are oh, cool. Quite- I'll have to look that up. Because yeah. I think the ships are cool and stuff. It's just a whole book. It's like a boat battle. It's just a in space yeah. uh, let's see so they're going to stop at this Vangelis spaceport to pick up a few battle brothers and get on the the, the Kelf and I'm like okay so here we go here's a ship going to find out. all of a sudden the the, the freaking Furious Abyss just pops up next to him I'm bigger than you and just uh, he, yeah. yeah he orders his astropaths to send a warning saying hey you know this thing is here, and it's oh my god! And uh, that that the biggest ship ever made, unique in every way, which is a quote, um, managed to sneak up on that little ship. Well, because it just popped into real space; it just popped out of the warp right next to the little ship. Yeah, and if that happens, actually, bad things happen. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's yeah, it is what it is. This is this little scene serving its purpose, isn't it? As as the guy who doesn't know all the stuff and I'm not, I'm pleading a lot of ignorance here because this is go this going off planet and doing all the space battle stuff I mean this is completely new this was new to me as a reader and I just kind of pictured it kind of oh my god there's a warp opening what is that coming out of it and then it comes out and they're there this is the thing actually to to, to be fair to it it's not the warp opening it's um I know, sire, it just appeared. Impossible. What of our Centenorium and Astropaths? How could it have got so close to us so quickly? Oh, um, but we find out later. That's from his what you call them's. Yeah, so it's working. It's To be fair to it, it's working outside the normal. Okay. The norms that we, we are on. Yeah, it's the supplicants, right? Cause that, yeah, because later. Cause I, yeah, okay. So, so to be fair to it, I'll take that back. It, it does sneak up on them. And then, and then it just blows him up. I was like, damn! Like, seriously, honestly, I was like, what the hell? I'm like, I thought, I mean, they, they did just enough to introduce this guy the same way they introduced half of the Space Marines. We all introduced the Space Marine, stick him in a training tube, and, and let him fight a robot thing, and that's how you introduce him. Um, And then, so I'm like, okay, I'm, boom, gone. I'm like, oh, okay, that was a character I didn't need. I was just like, it totally caught me off guard. Um, but yeah. then uh, that's when you get Captain Cestus, who's on the spaceport waiting for this guy. And there's, what, 10 Ultra Means. They were an honor guard who were there. And uh, I, I thought this was interesting. He stays in his room because he doesn't like the way normal humans regard him with awe and fear and stuff. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. he's He is not typical to any of the Space Marines we've really read so far just because of that like even in the first trilogy like he sort of you know he would the guys are picking up remembrancers here and there but he's like they just look at me with all this awe and fear he's he's a warrior but he's into other things and uh just the the weird sort of you know way that regular humans treat him bothers him yeah i'm not special no <laughs> 
And that's what makes him so special. Exactly. It's 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 like uh, pull that trope out. We we we'll put that in. You know what? But it's the first time somebody threw this one in there. And, it, that, and that is that that's kind of highlights what I was saying. The first time I was reading it through, oh, he's so not special. He's special. Where actually, when you read it through properly without that prejudice, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. So yeah, he likes learning and all these different cultures and things like that. So Antigues, I think it's Ant- how did you pronounce that? Uh, Antigues. Antigues. Oh, where the fist is coming, and um, they have a bond that transcends rank. Even though Cestus' rank is higher, so they talk you know more comfortably with each other. I had a little passage picked out here. I found myself picking fewer and fewer passages as the book went through. I uh, just like. <laughs> Oh, I don't care. I'm like, this, this, this thing. Most of them repeat anyway. Right. So, uh, last paragraph. It was a bond that had served the Battle Brothers well. Their whole, much more than the sum of their parts, as it was for the Legion in its entirety. Where Cestus was governed by emotion but prone to caution, Antigues was at times choleric and insistent, and less intense than his brother Captain. Together, they provided one another with balance. So this guy's a foil. I mean, that liter- literary literary terms. That's what he is. He's yep. the he is the um, Antigues is more of the McCoy to his Kirk. Yeah, you know he's the guy who's he's good, but he's that he's that opposite. And and honestly, and this is what the things that as I started to get about halfway through the book started to irritate me because I didn't really look at this the first time I read it. First time I read it, it was sort of like an 80s action book and I was just like, ah, it wasn't that bad. But now I'm sitting here and looking at it and reading it and taking notes and about halfway through, I'm like, his character is useless. Yeah. His character is just there to disagree with Cestus so that Cestus could tell us what he's thinking. And that's (laughs) one of the beefs I have with this book is most of these characters are completely stock characters that serve no purpose other than to advance the plot with Cestus. Yeah. I mean, even before kind of going back to it, everyone, everyone always used to say anyway, that Emotep and um, maybe Bringar are the only worthwhile characters from the whole book. Mm. Um, I, and, well, that's, you know, that's an opinion as it were, but Yeah. Bringar is, uh, well, he he is the alien among the humans in any science fiction movie, or the uh, the big, tough, muscly, bearded one. The guy who doesn't need a shirt when everyone else is going places. That's that's the one that everyone loves in every every film. Of course, it is exactly. So yeah, it fits, doesn't it? But I mean, it's just. I mean, like I said, every character. Like I'm not. I I, I will get to it later. But what happens in the end? was telegraphed only like 50 miles away. <laughs> I mean, I, when, when, when Bringar and Cestus are doing their thing at the end, I was like, oh, wow, oh okay. Um, yeah, I just, I was, I, when is that? Okay, there it is. Like, it's just, it's so by the numbers, group against the big unbeatable foe. But it's filled with big explosions, so on a big screen it would work really well. Well, okay, and that's fine, but on... It's expendables. Okay, so then this remembrancer runs into him, and he's all flustered. I only wanted to compose a saga of deeds, but he's a savage! Because he's, I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Who's a savage? That's right, there's space wolves on board. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, and you- Bringar Sturmdrang. Sturmdrang? 
it's the stir. I mean, that's the you know the. Uh, here we go. Storm and stress. Sturm und Drang. Okay. Yeah, it's Sturm und Drang. It's German, and that's his name, Sturm Drang. It literally means storm and stress. Yeah, I, the, the issue that he and the other space wolves have here is they are the um, they are the old, very comic book Vikings in space, which I kind of love for their cheesiness. But a lot of people hate it for exactly the same reasons. Uh, I love the Space Wolves, and I kind of love their that cheesy bit to them. At times, it's annoying, and at times, I have to admit to myself, I just love it because it's cheesy. Oh yeah, but I love the Space Wolves. Uh, but this one, like, like oh, they had invented a like what they they made. That, that's that's old fluff. Yeah, there is a Fenrisian ale which is strong enough to get Space Marines drunk. Yeah, so. He's drinking and beating the crap out of youngers. Of course, what else would they be doing but fighting amongst each other looking for the alpha male? They're drunk and brawling and having a good time. Mostly Bringar, Bringar is having a good time. Everybody else is getting the crap kicked out of them. Um, and then he says to one, you hit like you're from McCrag. So that Cestus is like, hey, what's that supposed to mean? And then they fight. Uh, just a challenge thing, and Cestus wins because he's the silver ultramarine who's always tactical, and Bringar may be tough, but he fights like a wild animal. So there we go. We've just asserted dominance. We've got uh, so uh, Schwarzenegger just uh, put um, what's his name, the guy who played Apollo Creed. He was in. Oh, I can't remember. I never remember his name. Oh, but yeah, they just had a little brawl. He just he won the arm wrestling match. Just to, you know, hey. Here I am. I'm the guy. Okay, you may be tough, and you're the big guy, and everybody knows you're the big, tough guy. There's a reason I'm in charge. And that's... uh... So then Bringar invites him to have a drink, but he goes, no, we're leaving. So he goes, well, I'll come with you and see you off. And he goes, well, he might as well, because he had knocked all the rest of them out in their fight. He had knocked the last of them unconscious. They had nothing to do, so... Let them sleep off their drinking and getting a beating from him. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, 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 it's kind of endearing in a, in a nerdy sort of, if you want to look at it as that eighties action. I think you have to pick your way. (laughs) See what I didn't. And I didn't think of it that way really until you mentioned it to me later and if I would have done it that way, I probably could have finished it in less than an entire half a year. Because that's, I think, how long I've been reading this, like since the end of summer. And it's just been, I've been miserable about it. You know, the, like the farther I got into it, the slower it got. I was like, oh, I got to kill this. Um, but so then we move on to chapter three. Chapter three, God of the Furious Abyss. So they get to Corrales Dock and uh, their banner bearer of the Honor Guard, Safrex, is there. He's so straight back that he always seemed at attention. I love their crew. Their crew, they are. These are the, you know. Yeah. yeah. They're the Marines among the Marines, you know. Uh, Astropath's been receiving a message for the last 15 minutes and are trying to decipher it. It's not repeating. It sounded more like a death scream. And they haven't heard from the Fist of McCrag. Um 
And then all of a sudden, as they get hit with the full force of the scream, all the astropaths start convulsing, and this starts overloading the system, and the lights in the port go out, and uh, that's not good. But then uh, it jumps over to uh, the Bridge of the Furious Abyss, because that's starting. Uh Uh-oh, what's happening? And the bridge is a miniature city, because it's big. It's really big. Yes. It's a miniature city on the bridge, and Zadkiel sits in the man chair, and he sits there like a god in his spot. I mean, they talk about the light glowing on him and stuff, and then you meet all the you meet all his henchmen. Bailanos? Bel- Something like that, yeah. Um, He's the assault captain and his private terror weapon. Yeah, it might take me a while to catch up, because I actually sold all my paperbacks. Oh, okay. So, uh, I, the Black Library were very kind and gave me a uh, an ebook, so I could just read this. <laughs> okay, we'll have to go and buy a paperback. Um, so, Baylenos and Ixalan, Ixalan. Yeah, and I love as he runs down the list because now again you get you get one of these long inner monologues as he runs down the list of all the people there and where they are in the pecking order in his opinion. Yeah. Okay. Is okay. Is the whole. Okay, are all the 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 legions like this, or is it just a couple? I mean, because God, this seemed so petty and political. And th- I mean, or is this guy just a real tool? Because I already don't like Zadkiel, not because he's the bad guy, but because I mean, literally. Here's Bellinos. I wrote this down: assault captain and private terror weapon, devoted and lacking in imagination, a perfect follower. Then an Ichthalon chaplain, demagogue, expert torturer. He tells Zadkiel to get on with it. He said it with contempt. He's still wearing his skull-faced helmet. Okay. Um, actually, we see later on that um, this is almost an aspect of them following the path they follow. Okay. And if you if you look at 40K, then there's always that fight. And even if you look at Warhammer Fantasy, there's always that fight to be the guy on top. And, and actually, no, let's look, <laughs> you can look back through history and all the kind of great powers that go and conquer they're always you know being careful of the one underneath even the mobs the gang mobs right there's always that bloke who wants your seat um and and the word bearers do suffer a bit from that it's explored better later on okay Uh, it's a bit overdone here okay so let's see who else rescue uh, Zadkiel's unofficial second. Officially, Bailanos was officially the second. He's his unofficial second. And this guy makes his job to know everything that's going on and report to Zadkiel. He's an eager sick, sycophant. Um, so, once again, this is a guy who's his official second because he works hard for him, but he looks down on him because he's such a sycophant. Mm. Yeah, but he's harmless. You know, within his place, knows he's there. Yeah. And he knows everything that's going on. So he's sort of like the weasel, the information gatherer in the group, the one that nobody wants to talk to in front of. Yeah. And uh, he says that the fist was destroyed, the abyss's weapons all tested successful. Uh, Ixalan does say that a message got sent out, but they don't know if anyone got it. It is possible, yeah. Because when you're testing your weapons and you're on the most powerful ship ever built, um, it's not worth spending that extra minute or two making sure the ship's actually dead. 
Right. And so then he says, I'll just, I'll just read it as I got it written here. Zadkiel wants to mace his impertinent head in, you know, for, for talking to him, talking to And then I have it here. Yawn. Obvious villain is obvious. Yeah. It's just, I mean, you literally, it's the, it's, he is the mustache twirler. He's the mustache twirler. Big time, yeah. And I really don't like the mustache twirler. I don't. You know what? There's a reason that people make fun of that, that, that whole idea because it's played out. Yeah. Being, being evil for the sake of being evil. Just, <laughs> I'm so devious. I'm so awesome. I'm so clever. That guy, I think there is no one who likes that guy in any movie. No. It's one of the reasons that House of a Thousand Corpses, which could have been a cool horror movie, was just totally not a cool horror movie because the bad guy walked around just talking about how being evil and being bad is so cool and makes him so awesome as opposed to other people. And it's just like, oh, this guy walking around with the I'm so awesome all the time. It just makes – oh. So I'm done. I'll go along. Um, Go ahead. No, I was I'm just trying to read up to the bit I'm kind of made notes on. That was all. Okay. And then you've got Magos Girod, the lead mechanicum, guy on the Furious Abyss. Um, he tells him, keep steady, but be ready to go to full speed at any time. And then they load and prime the broadsides. And then it says, let's go to McCrag. And then he sits among the monitors, giving a glow around him like it's his own personal heaven, like a god, he whispers to himself. I... I Okay, um, I yeah. This is this isn't too unlike the introduction of Horace's Mournival. Uh, I have no problem with you wanting to set up the seam, but um, yeah. Once again, I'm like a god. This is the total d bag stereotype of every one of these guys. I'm just ugh. so. Let's go back to the dock because I actually was like, okay, cool stuff happening with the Space Marines here. Yeah, and. Um, so the power outage has destabilized the hub reactor, and it's overloading. Of course it is, because, you know, yeah, we've got to get to the center of the ship quickly. It needs to be shut down or the entire dock will be destroyed. So uh, he tells Saffrex to figure out the message, and they run down there. Bringnar, um, oh, yeah, they head down to the reactor to stop it, even though none of them are tech marines. And who points that out is <laughs> Bringar. So I'm not being a smartass. He's just like, you know, none of us are tech marines. Drunk space wolves, like, really? Yeah. Weird thing it? Is there not someone more competent? Plus, yeah. the, this thing's got quite a few space marines and stuff on it. And that's not just space marines. There's other stuff as well. So you think it's fairly big. But they've it's, only got a couple of minutes. So these guys have to do it. It has to be these guys who have to run from miles away. Yeah, it's fine. It all works, yeah. So they get there, and their suits are registering lots of radiation, but he says, let's put grenades around it, and we'll bury it. The damage will be catastrophic, but the station will survive, I think. Then <laughs> what I like is, on the way down there, it's like, what's going on? And it's like, um, Cestus is, I'm hoping a solution will present itself and bring us to think the Legion of Gulliman are regarded as major strategists. <laughs> <laughs> it's taking the piss out of them. Yeah. That's what about him he's brilliant um so the uh the, the wait did i miss something the reactor miraculously destroys itself or something uh, here uh, hold on um 
he's about to detach the grenades when the reactor abruptly collapsed like a dying star imploding into a black hole. In his place, a glowing sphere of deep purple blossomed, flickering like an image on a faulty pick screen. Purple lightning licked from the surface, playing over Cestus's armor. He took a step back. Yowling static flared suddenly into life, and the Astartes were flooded by a wave of noise. A bright flash lit the entire chamber, overloading their helmet arrays in an instant. There, amidst the intense flare of light, Cestus saw an image so fleeting and indistinct that it could have been an illusion from the overwhelmed optics in his helmet. He blinked once, seeing only white haze, and shook his head, trying to recapture it. The flare died down, and when Cestus's vision returned, the afterglow haunted the edges of his retinas, but the image was gone, and the reactor was dead. The core had turned dark. Cracks of static electricity glowed over its surface. It shrank and became abruptly inert. And it's like... Wh- Who knows? Okay. Because <laughs> <I> did- <laughs> it's a reactor, so it shouldn't really react. It's like a physical reactor. Why would it respond to any psychic? Yeah, it, I, it, it, it makes no sense. Okay. If you get down, it makes no sense to me. But it allowed Cestus to have the his radiation vision. blast overloaded the sensors and the circuits and, and in his flesh. And even though it'll heal from the radiation because they're space marines, that might have hit his brain. Like in the Hulk, except now he got a flash of the psychic scream because he was in the right place at the right time. And so he's kind of like the Hulk TV version, but it's in a psychic thing instead. That's that's my explanation. Has like, yeah. has like, and but nobody else because he was in he was in the spot. Yeah. Maybe it was because he was holding the bombs or something. Maybe something weird. You never know. Because it's his book. Okay, and it's McCrag, and he's the only one who saw it. And they get back to the dock, and they get what part of the message was deciphered so far. Bringar is standing there watching and touching a totem on his armor because he doesn't even like the astropaths. Um, and the message is a jumble of images. And this I took down too because the psychics, it's all, you know what? I think that's what really, what I really enjoy in a lot of these things are all the periphery stuff that's around the space marines. Like, how do you get the, you know, like, what, like the astropaths? Like, how do they do their gig and stuff like this? I guess, I, okay, I'm kind of going off the path here, I guess. I just, all those little subsections of, uh, you know, of, of what goes on, I'm, those are the things that kind of fascinate me a lot of the times. So I always want to, like, whenever the Mechanicum shows up or they talk about astropaths, I'm like, oh, I'm always just kind of interested in, because, God, the, the lives of so many people seem so miserable and horrible in this future. Yep. Like, and it seems like just so, okay, um, that's for hey let's table that for a topic for the after show talk maybe because i was thinking about that too with just the billions upon billions we'll get to that when we talk about the humans in this story um but i had this last part cestus glared at the pick slate of the psi receiver as the broken images cycled slowly a gauntlet fist wreathed in a uh, laurel of steel a golden book what appeared to be the hull of a ship and a cluster of indistinct stars cestus knew of a fifth image Though his rational mind told him otherwise, in his heart, the ultramarine knew what he had seen. The range of mountains, the lustrous green and blue, it was unmistakable. He also knew what he had felt, a sense of belonging, like coming home. McCrag. So, that's the images. And I, I mean, these are all pretty obvious images to anybody who's reading this book, right? Because even I thought I understood them all. Yeah. It's, um... The fist with the laurel of steel. That's, um... Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fairly. Again, there's there's not a lot in this book that's subtle. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, if if yeah. anyone this report, I mean, how could I mean, yeah, 
I mean, if you read in this report, you don't need to necessarily know that much about the evil plan going on to at least have some idea of what this is about. Like, people who are doubtful about the whole... In the beginning, how could you possibly know it has to do with us? Well, okay, did you see the giant fist with the laurel wreath? I don't know. Yeah, it's... um... Shall we trudge along under the next chapter, I guess? I think so, yeah. I was just trying to find... Sorry, I was just trying to look through my notes on something because I managed to make a a right mess of how I was doing them. But, yeah, it's... yeah, it, it's kind of one of those things. It all happens. But, um, I mean, how a, a competent captain of Zadkiel. Zadkiel has been given the biggest ship in history. Right. How you just allow people to possibly get a message off and all that is a bit... You know, he's a powerful guy in the word bearers, obviously. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, f- you can't be a complete nincompoop and get to these positions in there, can you? <laughs> Not at all. Uh, so. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, it's just, yeah, okay, but we'll keep going on. Now we get to Chapter 4, Divine Inspiration. And you meet Imhotep, and I'm like, oh, Im- okay, first of all, don't name him Imhotep. I'm sorry, just don't. Motep. Motep. There's no Imhotep. Oh, but, it's, I was I was just always pronouncing the mm and then following with the Hotep, but it's Motep? Uh, yeah, probably, but it is close, yes. Okay, because I just saw that and I thought, mm, Hotep, you know, which, you know, the mummy, whatever. So... Thousand Sons, he's got a really cool room to meditate in. And he yeah. arrives at Vangelis and he's telling his servant to prepare his armor. Now, what's even better is um, we get Enter Calamar. And then, how did you know it was I, Lord Motep? It's like this bloke served with him for like. <laughs> <laughs> because I need to tell people. He calls him, he calls him old friend, you know, uh, how the. The bloke's old. It's like, how long's he been doing this? Um, and he's obviously his kind of main dude. Uh, and oh, actually, dude, that totally slipped by me. I knew it was cheesy dialogue, but I didn't even think about it. How'd you know it was me? I've known it's you for 40 years, you dunce. The rest of the scene's quite good. He probably didn't even need psychic powers to do it. It was just like, uh, it's always you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> idiot old man. Um, actually, I really liked the rest of the scene. I thought it was quite good. But just that one bit, I was like, oh, for crying out loud. Yeah. So, but why is he there? The paths of destiny are curious. So the, I didn't ever get a sense of how big his ship was. Because when you say, like, he had his own ship and he's, like, one space marine with his own ship. Yeah. Just, I was so, just picturing something about the size of that ship from Guardians of the Galaxy, you know? Oh, no. No, it'd be bigger than that. Well, yeah, I didn't realize that until, like, my <laughs> second reading. But, dude, even, like, when they let out later, when they let out those little ships... Like they're yeah. like, oh, send out the little ships. They're like they're eleven man crews. God damn! I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm picturing like X wing fighters or at, at the worst those things from Battlestar Galactica. And they're like, oh, oh no, they're like eleven man ships. I was like, that's not a tiny. That's not a. That's so, a fighter ship. <laughs> Forge World make the Thunderhawk gunship, mm-hmm. which should be bigger than it is in scale. But okay. that's a big. Yeah, that's a. 500 pound model you know cost to buy 600 pound the Stormbirds we keep hearing about um at the weekend they showed the work in progress pictures if you if you look up on a heresy forum or something you'll be able to see those those pictures and that's a beefy ship i mean it's yeah well it's pretty massive actually you can drive a rhino in the back doors of it um but again that's you know the scale's broken a little bit there they're the they're the the minute um, yeah, that's what they use instead of X wings, effectively. So uh, 
yeah, the scales just upped hugely. But yeah, his you know his ship's um still a still a battleship, a small one, so it's a, still a ship of you know. Yeah. <laughs> battles. <laughs> like I said, it's bigger. It's just, I guess I didn't plan it. But so Cestus calls a meeting of all the Astartes. And so we've got a bunch of the Space Marines. you got Motep, Bringar, Skrull, the World Eaters there. I get, world Eaters fascinate me. I, I, you know, all, all of them all of them kind of fascinate me. But every time I go to, I was like, I really like the World Eaters. I don't know why. Like, I mean... At least when I've seen stuff about it in the game, it's just, I mean, or when they go, it's just the, uh, you know, just go in and punch things. But you get a nice little bit of insight into them here, and they're just so weird. Like, they're just so, I don't know, they don't seem like the other space marines that you read about. So, I don't know, I think. They've got their own own view of things. Well, that's the thing, and they seem so one-dimensional when you look at them at first, but every time you read, like, they get a character, and they're like, oh, they're. Yeah, essentially that that one one dimensional uh, one dimensional aspect of being in battle is very much uh, the cause of them being very three dimensional outside of battle. Yeah, so they're, they're always having to deal with these things that are going on. There's yeah, they're quite quite interesting characters um, if they're written well. So yeah, so um, Cestus tells them all what's going on, but he leaves out. The part about the the psyker, um, yeah. yeah. He, he even uh, confided his. He did not mention his experience in the reactor core. Says this was still processing what he had seen. Visions were the province of sorcery, and to divulge that he, an ultramarine, had witnessed one would undermine his credibility and arouse suspicion as to his motives. Yeah, I, I've actually literally just seen on my page that. Um, I think it's Skrull wears battered Mark V power armor. Okay. Which, if you remember back to our marks, um, Mark V is not a mark of armor. It's the repairs that were done to old armor with, you know, the bodge jobs during the middle of the fighting in the heresy. Oh, right. Think, so those are the kind of things that will get adjusted. Just that, that sh- sh- you know, shot out at me as I was reading it. Sorry. But, um, so it goes yeah. from four to six because there was no real five. Five was just repair jobs. The repair jobs, but it's still okay. called Mark five. But yeah. oh, okay. But they have referred to it as Mark five certainly. Um, but what you've got is this whole meeting. You've got make sure oh, as a space wolf and a thousand sun. Make sure the space wolf have a go at the thousand sun at every opportunity. Um, yeah. <laughs> Make sure that the Thousand Sun shows his disdain of the space walls at every opportunity. You know, um, uh, yeah, it's a bit. The whole thing was a bit of a cheese fest. Yeah, and the whole point is basically they say it could be a Xenos attack, maybe, but they have the origin of the message, and that and the fist would go. So they would, you know, hey, the Emperor's Astartes were attacked. We have to do something, and so he wants to go there and see if they could pick up a trail. And he can't tell them why, but he thinks going there uh, to, you know, he can't believe that the fist was randomly come across and attacked just out of the blue. Something has to be. So I want to I want to go and see if I can find a trail. He says, I don't need your help, but I ask for it. And then he kneels and bows his head. Yeah, exactly. Pile it on. Yeah, I actually put that all in caps. You know, the others are shocked, but they do it because they're, you know, hey, I'm not too proud to to do you know this is you know 
they are they're the they're the shining knights of the of the space marines <laughs> so bringar wants to know why imhotep is or well, i'm sorry motep is going and I, dude i've been calling him imhotep for months i may not be able to stop i'm just gonna say if i say it again forgive me but he says that after the Council of Nikea, he wants to help foster better relations throughout the legions. And what better place to start than with Gillymen? And then, you know, that's... Of course, Bringar doesn't buy that. So, so then they commandeer some ships from the Saturnine fleet. Uh, the main ship is the Wrathful under the Rear Admiral Kaminska, and she is not happy that they took her ship, and it's obvious. And she's just just like those pictures that I always think of with the commanders of this, with the high-collared coats and the monocle and everything. Yeah, she's uh, ticked every box. Yeah, I mean, she is like that That picture. The, the I mean, I picture that one, there's that that high admiral commander whatever model the one and i think you know the one the one with the that's painted shows up in every gw thing when you see space marines long red coat monocle big hat holding the gun straight out at his side scar yeah, yeah exactly uh where is it um yeah, she gave a near imperceptible nod by way of acknowledgement. The gesture was all but lost in the high collar of her uniform and the thick furred mantle that hung around her shoulders. Admiral Kaminska was stern-faced matriarch. A monocle over her left eye partly obscured a savage scar that cracked the side of her face. The monocle's sweeping chain was set with tiny skulls and pinned to the right breast of her jacket. She carried a control wand at her waist, secured by a loop of leather, and a naval pistol sat snugly in a holster on her hip. Gloved hands bore the lightning flash emblem made from metal, they were tense and gripped the supports of her command throne tightly. I mean, she is literally that picture, except it's a chick. She is yep. that guy. Yep. Just to mix it up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily, the wrathful, the wrathful is the fastest vessel in the Segmentum Solar. Hey, that ship yep. made the castle run in less than 12 parsecs. Exactly. That was useful. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she's pissed. You know, like I said, she is not happy that they took her ship. Um, oh, and Captain Vorlov of the Boundless wants to come with her. But she just stopped for repairs and supplies, a new crew. She planned on staying for a week, and she'd been there less than a day, and they take her ship. And she didn't mind doing her duty. She minded going after some enemy on a hunch and a whim. So she's, you know, that, and she kind of lets him know. She's like, yeah, this is, this is crap. Um, yeah, but she's doing, actually, that, it, it kind of makes her all right. She, you know, she knows that. You know, Space Marine's given her orders. She's going to do the, the job. But, you know, she has a little bit of a kind of a bitch in a moan and, yeah. and tries to look into what's going on. But she's got four escorts in diamond formation. Fearless, the Pharaoh, the Ferocious, and the Fireblade. The the four Fs. Yeah. And then... From waning Moon and the Boundless. Yep. Yeah, Motep's there with Waning Moon, and then the Boundless is ready to go, too. So they jump space to where the signals come from, and they follow it. Meanwhile, back on the abyss. Brotherhood is power. Zad Keel's preaching. Preaching to the novices. Yeah. Telling it like it is. As it is written. Uh, Brother Ultis has questions about fighting brother, or brother fighting brother. He's ambitious, so Zadkiel can't like him. That guy's ambitious. You know, instead of what we've seen in every other book, which is if a guy's doing well, some guy starts mentoring him. Yeah, but these are the first. The first they've taken the most knowing steps towards what they're heading towards. Yeah, like 
Yeah, we see. They've changed. They're not. They're not like the rest of the Space Marines anymore. They're. But they didn't realize what they were falling into. Yep. Whereas these guys are going in with kind of open head, uh, open minds. So, um, let's see. Uh, the Emperor is brother to no one. They're talking about Melkador and his regents are bureaucrats and brothers to no one. So he dismisses the novices that they're going to, you know, it's just, you know, well, as soon as he finds out he's being followed, but there's this whole conversation going on, and Oltis comes at him and asks about the last the lesson, and he goes, "I thought this was actually kind of interesting, just getting a bit of their philosophy, you know, at least getting a reason, yes. you know, because this is the, that's the biggest beef I have. I still, you know, you can still look back and have beef with how it seems how easily Horace flipped, and how a lot of these guys turn, but he's sitting here and they're just, you know, they've been at it the longest." You know, and so you got the uninformed think the emperor rules, but he does through so through the primarchs. The war is the war between the primarchs, and once they defeat the emperor's faithful, they'll win. They'll harness their hate and focus it into power. Ultis wants only clarification and knowledge, but Zadkiel sees ambition, so now he doesn't like him or trust him. Got to keep in his place. But the yeah. word was unfolding, and Ultis had a role to play. So he lights a candle for Gilliman as a brother of sorts. His loss should be commemorated in some way. Da, da, da. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, I didn't mind that because I got some insight into. Yeah, it was. There's sort of as they're arguing back and forth, the little thought process. You get some of the word there, I guess. Yeah, it was a long, long scene of some interesting talk. It was all right. It was fine. Philosophical debate, but once again, and maybe I'm just easily pleased. And in fact, no, I'm easily pleased. But just once every, you know, as a guy who doesn't spend all his time knowing the ins and outs, like, I mean, I mean, I realize there's other people who are picking this up real quick. I mean, you could say this stuff about the dwarfs or maybe the, you know, the, uh, uh, the vampire counts book. And I was like, "Oh, oh, yeah. You know, that little thing right there, I noticed it, but so for me it was interesting to get that bit of philosophy. It wasn't it wasn't uh it wasn't bad. Yeah. But then we go back and guess who guess who's sparring now of all the different guys we got here, guess who's sparring? Yeah, we better see the world eaters go at it. And they're yeah. really violent. Yeah. And um of course one of the guys has to ask, you know, why do we even bring them? They're just violent thugs. And you have to have a guy say that because that allows our... to be amazing. Thester, do not be so narrow-minded as to think we do not need their aid. Thester chastened the heavy set Astartes who glanced over at his captain. We're a brotherhood, all of us. Though we each have our differences, the Emperor has seen fit for us to conquer the galaxy in his name together. The moment we seek our own personal glories, then we abandon solidarity for pride, is the moment when brotherhood will be shattered. So there you go. We've got a guy who gets it. Like, that's the whole damn theme of the heresy in a paragraph anyway. And we know what side Cestus is on. Yeah. We also, actually, you also get, uh, it's the ultimate caricature of the Ultramarines thinking they're better than everyone um, as well. And you see that later on. Oh, you, 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 with your 500 worlds, you're all blah, 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 but blah. But Cestus blah. doesn't, you know. But Cestus doesn't because he's so important. Um, hey, he's focused on the right things. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it is what it is. So then, 
Antigiza actually agrees with Thester and starts talking to him, tells him Russ's wolves are... And then Cestus says something to him. He goes, well, Russ's wolves are savages too. And it's a more philosophy of debate. But they're noble savages. We all kill. Not like them. You forget your place. I don't approve of their methods, nor do I. You know, mm-hmm. going back and forth, you know, and a planning, since the cleansing of Erigata, Gilliman has sought a reckoning with Angron for the cleansing of Erigata. What's, I'm assuming that, that Angron went in there and killed way too much stuff. It, I'm trying to remember. I can't remember the name specifically. There was one fight where um, Imperial Army losses were much greater. Like their own troops' losses were much greater where the World Eaters were fighting. Um, and there were things about the World Eaters slaughtering. I think it may be the one where they were sent, the World Eaters were then sent away from the Great Crusade for a few years. It may be that. Oh, really? Yeah. The, um, yeah. At some point during the Great Crusade, the Emperor said, Look, Angron, go out onto the edges of the space and go and do a bit of like hunting around there and then come back in a few years. Um, oh, wow. Possibly the, not the right way to deal with Angron. But, um, yeah, just go and be somewhere where no one's looking over your shoulder. But, yeah, they, they were, they were warned that, um, Essentially, there was a lot of death when, whenever the world eaters. Oh, uh, so they were shooting anybody. They were just killing. At some point, they were just. Yeah, I, I, I'm, if I'm pretty. If you weren't sure. a world eater, you were you were getting killed. I see. When you put the world eaters on the on on a planet, then whatever happens is going to be bloody. Right. You, you put them on that, and they will just do the job. They'll be like, "Yeah, I'm going to kill whatever's in my way to get to that." And if some, if some humans on this planet get in my way, then they're going to die as well. You know, I'm going to do what I need to do. Okay. So, so well, once again, you get more of this Antigues. Uh, you know, just being that that opposite sounding board. He's his friend, but he's the opposite, so that we can, you know. Cestus doesn't approve of what they do, but he's gonna. They're brothers. They got to. Treat them like brothers. Um, we got about fifty space marines on this ship, I believe. Twenty world leaders, twenty space wolves, Motep, and then some ultramarines. Um, Cestus finally tells Antiques about his uh, visions, and of course, you know, oh, you know, that's not good. The Council of Nikea, what's this nonsense? And um, but they've made uh, contact with the ship from the site of the fist destruction. Yeah. So they get there, and it's an Imperium ship, and she's like, Kaminska's like, how could you even dare to say something like this? Um, but they're going <laughs> to... They decide to hold back and, and stop and signal them first. This was definitely the ship that was there, and they were destroyed. Well, let's ask. Maybe they got there right after the ship was destroyed or something like that. You know, you never know, given the benefit of the doubt because it's an Imperial ship. Oh, and by the way, they never saw a ship so big. Never sure. No. Never said so this is a big ship. It's a very big ship. So, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except for um, Bringar, as soon as they're like, uh, they're not answering. Oh, let's go and kill them then. <laughs> well, and yeah. So, and it's, it's it's this is exactly what you say. They call him. Let them meet static, you know. And this is they get static, and then so Cestus sends a frigate over there. I don't want to be aggressive. Imhotep's or Motep's going to follow. You know, and Bringar, this stinks, and my nose never lies. So, end of chapter four. Let's run through five and then maybe take a quick break, huh? Yeah, cool. Um, start at chapter five, and then here we go in it. Where is it? It is another one of those. 
Oh, there was there was one bit before you did that because oh. there were t- I think there was one point where they were talking about um, Motep saying he had Spire Guard with him, and it was half half, half a regiment of Spire Guard. Um, so you got fifty Space Marines and half a regiment of Spire Guard. Spire Guard are just humans. They're the human forces based on Prospero. Okay. So essentially, they're just guardsmen. And I'm not too sure why you would ever think that 50 Space Marines and these human forces would be any good assaulting the largest ship ever seen. Because we but, all back down for Space Marines. Yeah, but no. No, but you know what? But don't even worry about that because up comes, it's Chapter 5. We're back on the we're back in the, in the throne room or head room on the, on the Fierce Abyss. Zadkiel sat back on his throne. The feeling of power was intoxicating. The battleship was his to command, like an extension of his body, as if the torpedo tubes and gun turrets were his hands. He could simply spread his fingers and will destruction on the enemy. <laughs> so, yeah, so he opens up a channel to the waning moon, and the whole conversation is just silly. There was one good quote in there. Deny, then disbelief, then I'll tell you the truth after you've proved yourself a liar. Yeah, then I shall give you the truth. Great deeds are unfolding, Captain Motet. Lines will be drawn. Flame and retribution is coming. And those who are on the wrong side of that line will be burned to ash. It's like, oh yeah, you take that line out of there. And it's like, that's that's quite a good little couple of lines. Although actually there's four, five sentences in there. But uh, yeah, um... Yeah, I thought that was quite cool. In amongst the the rubbish, <laughs> <laughs> so it goes through, and let's see. Um, so basically, the fearless is destroyed. Torpedoes hit the waning moon. Everybody on board the um, with Kamin- on Kaminska's ship just goes, "Holy crap!" <laughs> right. They see the ships pull up. They're like, "Hey, what's going?" On? <laughs> Before you even get there, right, the ships have spent time following at furthest possible distance but still in radio signal. Right. And then all of a sudden, Motep's ship is directly in front of the Furious Abyss. Well, I thought they sent him out. He went with the with the one with the with the frigate, uh, it was the Fearless. Someone's not responding to your hails. Do you go and position yourself right in front of a ship? Where where are the biggest guns on a on a ship most of the time? The broadsides and then the front. No, oh, I was getting the broadsides, yeah. Yeah, but then then the front's all you know, front's going to have a big weapon. But on it, it doesn't have a big weapon. It's got a book there. Yeah, exactly. So there could be no weapon there at all. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I like Motep's report of the damage. Oh yeah, the way he was dealing with that. Actually, for a bit there was like there was a bit of tension in that. In in Motep's words, when you know, he's going he, through the and seeing all the people dying around him. Yeah, you know him him his own thoughts. Uh, you know, people are asking how should we respond, and all he's thinking is like the word bearers have turned on their own. Um, you know, Cestus is is kind of like getting that back because uh, I've lost my page a little bit here because it's the problem doing it on a flipping iPad. Um, but yeah the way that, that Motep and this I think most of the kind of good bits the good scenes involve Motep I think I think that's why people respond well to him is yeah. the way he acts is 
it tends tends to be written better than a lot of the rest of the book. Yeah. Well, so then, as it goes along, they try to send messages to McCrag and Tara, and then Kaminska tells uh, Vorlov to take the Boundless in after the Abyss. Bringar wants to go in boarding torpedoes, but Cestus says, no, wait, and, and Bring, Bringar's not happy about waiting. Um, the waning moons hit like four times for minimal damage, and then the torpedoes that went through and didn't do a lot of damage... They launch all sorts of little missiles from inside the ship, and that's bad. That messes up the waning moon really bad. Yeah, uh, tons of shots hit the furious abyss, but it doesn't really seem to have any effect other than cosmetic. I do have another issue with the the biggest ship ever built, designed for the purpose of breaking McCrag. Um, has takes an awfully long time to kill what is a small legion ship. Four hits. And it doesn't destroy that ship. Yeah, of those yeah. of those of those torpedoes that blew up into more torpedoes. You got all the other ships as well. Yeah, the the the, the fight going on here was like really it's supposed to be a um, pretty big ship. Well, they, they try to explain it. And I think that happens a little later, but we're gonna we'll get to that. Um, I, I still don't like it. Um, yeah, necessarily. Um, but what what you actually see in this passage is this is one of the like, is this the maybe the first time that we see um, a group of people who have no idea of the heresy? Uh, it's it's almost like Garrow. Garrow gets little, you know, he gets told about things, but he can see his own legion changing a bit. Right. The Ultramarines, Motep, Bringar have no concept of brother fighting brother. Have no lead in, no hints or tips that there's anything wrong except for that first moment when one of our ships is dead and it looks like it might have been killed by word bearers what the yeah. hell's going on no. here yeah something's not right what's going on yeah but they yeah and they, and they unlike garrow who can go oh yeah our legion's been changing they've got no concept it was like oh, you know that's massive kind of smack in the face and motep shows that quite well and Cestus does a little bit as well but yeah so I mean yeah. even even at this point it's not heresy for them it's there's this one ship and yeah. for some reason it's killed us yeah we're so, gonna find out the reason why exactly so um let's see the Boundless launches all of its little assault boats which I kept picturing as starfighters but apparently they're 10 men craft uh, and Zadkiel's just like we're gonna wait we're gonna sit and take it yes trust in the truth of the word so the ships get close, and suddenly people just start killing other people on the ship. They've gone insane. I am the light that shines always. I am the Lord of the dawn. I am the beginning of the end. I am the word. And all these things coming in and screaming and people dying, and I'm like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, I didn't like it. And the, yeah, the supplicants have effectively neutralized the fighter assault. And I was like, wait, what? How? Like, what? 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 But apparently they've got... So they have an entire section of this ship full of just these like sort of trained hit psychers who are disguising the ship like, they can do everything like they can disguise the ship with their brains they could be sent out as a bomb with their brains they can uh in this particular part go and when the, wait for the ships to get close and take over the minds of some of the people on the ship i'm assuming yeah because they couldn't have planted them there they weren't plants very well written um, and it's only later on that they discuss it as being a psychic attack. 
but it's not very well written. Psychic powers, I mean, they should know that there's a, a price to pay and there's an effort cost. This is what I'm saying. They sh- they would have just turned their broadsides around and smashed these ships into oblivion. It just it doesn't make sense if you try and read it properly. Um, it's, yeah, it's not great. I mean, there was one point as well where I think Zag Kiel tells someone to run down somewhere. Oh, that might be later on. But, um, uh, bear with me one second. Yeah, no, it's something else. Um, yeah, there's, yeah, I just, why, why didn't he just shoot him? Yeah. It, you know, they wanted to show off they got these things, but it just makes it a bit, a bit silly. Yeah, so Zed Kill's going to open the book, and you're like, huh? And then uh, 80% of the ships are gone. That's when they realized it was that psychic assault. It must have been psychic. Yeah, it must have been. Yeah, yeah, that, that's it. It's like, what's happened? Oh, it must have been a psychic attack. Our crews turned on each other. Do you think it was psychic? Well, I mean, well, why else would the crew turn on each other unless somebody was controlling their brains, I guess? Yeah, maybe. And then the 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 clincher of the whole the whole section. Uh, oh yeah, then let's see The Cestus interrupts with the psychic question Tells him maintain the lance barrage Of the wrathful And that should be enough And Kaminska's pissed He's like, Then the massive book opens in the front And a giant gun comes out of it <laughs> It's one of them trick books oh. uh, just, <laughs> just Just I for star Seriously, right. this is like space balls at this point so is this book like closed end on pointing out the front of this ship right and then its pages open like wide so it's like this really wide opening and there's a hole in the middle there's a hole in the middle why why do you need the big book period because i've got like images of this book being like just stuck on the end of this thing like being bigger than it, it and it's just makes sense it, it's 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 symbolism, um, but again, it's symbolism driven home with a hammer. Um, it's like, I'm going to symbolize hitting you with a hammer by hitting you with a hammer. Uh, <laughs> and and it's like, the gun's really cool. I like the gun. I think it's awesome because um, it's a beam, isn't it? But it's just everything else around it is just awful. Yeah, it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there we go. What can you do? So, all right. Well, if we're five chapters down, quarter of the book. We're going to have to pick up the pace here a little bit if we want to finish this one in one go. And I really do. Yeah, that's so, correct. You know what? Let's take a break. Uh, a little musical interlude. Let people run to take a few seconds to pause right here if they want and run to the restroom or whatever, because that's what I think I'm going to do. Cool. So let's take a quick break and then come back to more of this. Mm-hmm. that break getting quick uh quick break in and back to the abyss with chapter six of the abyss um space battles are slow it actually tells you this space battles are slow 
Which leads me to wonder how when they blew up the first ship, how everyone was like shocked when they watched it blow up that nobody saw. Because it says how even at close distances, it may take a minute or two for the missiles to get there. Doesn't it say that right here? Yeah, it's, um, again... Yeah. Oh, taking seconds to crawl across the blackness. Laser battery salvos taking seconds. And that, that's the speed of light. Oh. So the, the torpedoes, maybe not so much? No, that'll take a, take a long time. No. Um, the, and the fighter wings. I don't think, that, I don't think you'd turn around to a, a fighter pilot and tell him that space battle's slow. I think when <laughs> there's flak coming in at a fighter pilot, <laughs> yeah, I think they'll tell you it's, um, it's pretty quick. But so Kaminska is shocked. Cestus says, oh, that's a plasma lance, but I didn't know they were using them. And she's like, what is going on? It's a theoretical weapon, Captain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Cestus admits, what's going on, Captain? I honestly don't know. Yeah. There's a there's a question. Like, have they gone plasma critical? Which Is it plasma critical? Yeah, it is. Oh, so maybe it's the wording's not not quite there, but they don't know what's going on with the waning moon. Um, <laughs> you know, it's been hit by like loads of stuff, including this big mega weapon. And bearing in mind, this is the biggest ship ever built, and it's, and it's the big mega cannon hidden in the big mega book in front of the big mega and, ship, and it's firing against one of the smallest kind of um, escort ships. And it, and it, well, I mean, here's the thing: it cuts the front third of it off. I, <laughs> if you cut the front third of a ship off, I mean. Doesn't bad stuff happen to that ship? There's an awful lot of not bad stuff. Imhotep's ship can take in an amazing amount of damage. Okay. Now, yeah. To be fair, though, there is um, if you've not hit the engines and you've not hit the the power supplies, then with you the know, four the, torpedoes that ripped up the hull and yeah, exactly the, fired the, mini torpedoes. Why is uh, this ship still there? So only the munitions will go boom if they haven't hit any of that other stuff, but it is a bit ridiculous. And then even better is like the, all the blast doors have come down to, to block off. So essentially you've got this forward part that's sealed. Right. Which is fine. Blast doors are designed to do that and everything else. Um, and then he pulls out his scimitar, which we can only believe to be a power weapon, and then cuts through a blast door with ease. Now, like a blast door is supposed to take... a bl- <laughs> um, Yeah, it's... yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, that scene in Star Wars in Phantom Menace when they're trying to get through that blast door with their lightsabers and stuff. It's taking forever and ever right, and ever. they stick it all the way in like a needle and then they got to slowly drag it across. Yeah. Yeah, but no, he cuts it with ease with a power weapon. It's, yeah. no, this, okay, let's just, <laughs> so, um, oh, and then here's Antigues again. I can't believe we're attacking the word bears. Listen, I don't care what you think. They, they're, they're, we, they're attacking us. We need to fight back, you know. And he's such. Antigues is such a sounding board, and such a, just. I mean, an obvious foil, you know. But the problem is, like, when you get a good foil in a in a, in a book, okay. Uh, Draco Malfoy, whether you like Harry Potter or not, is a nice foil to Harry Potter. He's everything Harry's not. He's like that opposite of him. Now, I guess so. Antigues is, but so you're using him sort of as this foil, as this opposite thing, so that you can show the characteristics of this guy more, at least in their sort of philosophies. I'm not saying he's evil, but by having by having him right there with him all the time, and being that opposite, he becomes nothing more than just the. The, vo- the, the he's the reason for Cestus to make speeches. 
Yeah. And exclaim the virtues of the Space Marines. Obvious foil is obvious. Yeah, exactly. So they're going to, they call Forloff off the abyss. They're going to run away. Waning Moon is dying. And I'm sitting there going, how big is it? There are thousands. Did they say something like there's thousands of people aboard this ship? Yeah, I, I don't know. It seems to be kind of getting a, big and smaller. <laughs> it's a TARDIS. Yeah. yeah. So he gets in his savior pod because, you know, they're. Well, well he's had that whole scene of him going to get his stave. Yes. First, there was about four or five pages, it seemed like, of him going, well, just, just have it on him and cut that whole section out of the book. Yes, we know that Calamar, or whatever his name is, was a great friend to him. And although this butler was basically senile because he didn't know that his master... <laughs> knew- you know, seven. I have it written here too. Seven pages for him to get off that ship. Seven <laughs> pages. No suspense. Never thought for a moment he was going to die on that ship. Just a lot of his servants dying and him being proud of them. And get him off the ship. Seven pages is literally two percent of this book. Just about. Yeah, yeah. It's um. You spent two percent. I mean, seven. The the book is just over four hundred pages. So you spent one and three quarter percent of the book getting him off of his ship. I mean, okay. Now, once again, I didn't know how big his ship was. Apparently, he's got a very big ship. Thousands of crew. I'm not picturing this in my head properly, but still, the four big torpedoes and the booms and the stuff. Now, I guess if you could fit thousands, maybe those four torpedoes weren't anywhere near anything important. But then, why aren't those thousands? I mean, somebody's got to. Something's got to be around where those torpedoes all went off. Yeah. I don't I mean, know. So there was uh, there was about a page worth of of good stuff in there. Yeah. Uh, uh, there was one bit where he was looking through one part of the invalid quarters, and that was quite cool. But you know, yeah, we got the idea. Move on. Stop hitting us with the big stick. So we, we know Motep's a good guy. Yeah, I mean, what? Yeah. So then the Abyss launches a fighter squadron. Everyone's like, "How they couldn't fit a, the weapons and those ships?" But somehow they did. Mechanicum. It can't possibly fit weapons and attack crew. Biggest. Hey, but it's got the big cannon in front of the gun. That's got to go somewhere because it's got to have room behind it. However long that gun is, when the ship, when the when the book opens and the long gun extends in the long slow gun extending scene, then, then you know, it it needs room for that too. Even one of its impressive size, yeah. They got it. You know what? Seriously, I get. <laughs> it's good. It, it, you know, it's, it's got, got the "I break for nobody" bumper sticker on the back and everything. Probably, yeah. So, the Fireblade and the Ferocious disengage, but the Pharaohs being hounded by uh, fifty fighters, and then the Pharaohs destroyed, and the Ferocious destroyed, and then says that the Mechanicum is playing dirty pool and ignoring sanctions, so they have to withdraw the Boundless. It's destroyed. The astropaths get kicked in the because the Astronomicon is gone. Isn't that the Emperor? Um, yeah. Uh, because, I mean, the, the warp is that crazy that the Astronomicon is gone? Essentially, yeah. It's okay. like um, you often, like the Imperium's either it's described as a storm or a sea or a bit of both. Okay. Essentially, yeah, it got either oh, so two, okay. Two, Gets too rough out there that at this point the astron yeah, astrocon's gone. So once again, uh, 
there's a decision that has to be made. And when a decision has to be made, I want to know exactly what Cestus thinks and why. So I'm going to go send Antigues in yeah, to this, argue with him. If this was done by the World Eaters, one of the World Eaters, it would have been a lot less cringy and forced and a bit rubbish. Yeah, we need to go to Earth. Well, I mean, Antigues wants to go to Earth to warn him. No, we got to go to McCrag. The message would never reach them. We're the Legion's last hope. You're letting your emotions and your arrogance cloud your judgment. Your loyalty deserts you, brother. So yeah. it, it's more of that. Uh, and again, Antigues is a useless character. Uh, yeah, and then the Boundless is destroyed. Yes. And Zedkiel won't chase the Wrathful or the Fireblade. They don't, you know, they won't get to Terra in time, and they don't have, we don't have time to go after them. Just listen, we're going to, we're behind schedule as it is. What's the worst that can happen? What is the worst that can happen? They, they can't, look, you can't send messages through the warp. We've already determined that, and he's right about that. They could never possibly get to Earth in time to stop anything about this. And they're obviously, they, dude, we just smashed almost all of them. They can't. If, they're going to follow us. Then we'll yeah. really destroy them. So let's just leave them. We're going to go. You know. No, Mister Powers. I'm going to put you into an obvious and easily escapable trap and just leave, assuming that you've been destroyed. Yes. So they head into the warp, and if the Ultramarines follow, the warp's going to get them. So. So the Wrathful's going to pursue once Motep's aboard. Uh, and then they all get together. Cestus says they're going after the Abyss. Skrull and Bringar agree. Kaminska gives the orders, and they're off after Emotep's secured. Uh, and some of the others from the waning mood in the Fireblade. So survivors are brought in, and they get ready to go. And then uh, then it cuts back to Zedkiel and Ultis. They're checking on the supplicants. This is where you get the fact that it's a psychic attack. Yeah. Yeah, it's like finally, it's like oh, that explains it. It's like this was, and this is kind of weird too. Just the giant, big, distorted heads of these psychers hooked up to these machines. Three of them are dead. One yeah. head exploded. One burned up, and one just flumped over. I love how weird things. Like one guy spontaneously combusted. Yeah, because apparently, when you mess with the warp, just literally anything can happen to you. Pretty much, yeah. Which makes it even more like nonsensible that that um, they would wait and not just shoot those pilots out of the sky, but would use up this resource that they've got right? much more finite than, than... And just weird stuff can happen to them, though. Seriously, one guy's head exploded, one guy burned up, one guy slumped over. About three feet down, they forgot to mention, there was one guy who just, his spot was covered up with a giant big piece of metal that said 500 tons on the side in white paint, because that, that just anything can happen here. So... Um, Zadkiel is testing Ultis, though, because Ultis is dangerous because he knows he's being tested. So Zadkiel's testing him, and Ultis catches on, and he catches on, and Ultis catches on. I know that he knows that I know, and that makes him dangerous. Um, the dialogue between them actually gives you a little bit to that, the credo of the word bearers, this, uh, you know, when they start going back and forth, and he starts questioning him and texting him. It is, you know... It's a little ham-fisted in the way of getting this, but how else are you going to get the credo of the word bears across to us? You can't have Zadkiel sitting around thinking to himself for any more pages. He's doing that all the damn time. Yeah, you can do it other ways, and, I've, and it does get done other ways later on. But you get to see that, that they are very different, you know, how far they've almost fallen from the way all the other Space Marines are thinking. Yeah. 
that, you know, they are out for themselves. But then at the end of it, the, the mine's quite a cool idea. Yeah, they so they, they take the... No, it sounded like they said they took the, all the remaining psychers, but apparently they didn't. They just... <laughs> of screaming psychers, insane with a poisonous vapor that had been pumped into the chamber and hermetically sealed. So they pump poison in there, and once their bodies start going haywire, then they threw that into the warp. So, And since emotion is what draws the warp, and we've seen that in both systems. I know they talk about it in fantasy as well. Um, it's man's emotion that, that causes all this craziness in the warp that causes the attraction of the warp creatures to us. So they make a big ball of crazy and send it out into the warp. Yeah, and force the uh, the, the transit to implode upon itself. Yeah, that's kind of cool, actually. Yes, that, that was cool. And then, uh, and that's where, right. That's right where it ends. We get into chapter seven. Do we do with the fire blade having uh, having trouble to enter the warp? Um, <clears throat> being described as near suicidal trying to get in so yeah i mean i i really like this again this is like an aspect of the book that i thought was really cool um that that the nature of having a having a mind there to break it and without the astronomicon it's you know there's real kind of pressure but that's not stop that's not going to stop our valiant you know valiant heroes is it no they're going on they're following so what else going on in chapter seven we get to see Handley waiting for a Motep to turn up means that they get to watch uh, everything else going on, don't they? Oh, that's true. Yeah, we get to uh, <laughs> we get the officer huntsman of the watch to patrol the decks because there's a uh, yeah. Everyone knows that there's stuff in the wall. Um, right, that's see, not a secret. It's dangerous no. as hell. You can't even look at it. Yeah, there's something there. So these f- fourteen decks, um, fourteen crews, sorry, going off through through the decks to keep an eye on things. Um, you know, are they, <laughs> which almost just it just leads forward that there's going to be trouble, doesn't it? But, but bless them. But we get another meeting. Yes, we do. Yeah, everyone sat around a hexagonal table, except for Bringar. <laughs> That's not what he does. He walks around. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Because he's a space wolf, and that's what they do. But, um, <clears throat> excuse me, but again, during this talk, I just felt we got all the stereotypes. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it just kind of goes through, you know. And, and I think I think at this point on, you start to see kind of cycles of the same thing. We, we've talked about it a bit, that there's a lot of repetition of, of kind of what goes on in this book. Um, but yeah, they're trying to decide what to do, aren't they? Uh, yeah, we, we, we have them trying to jump in to the, uh, to the warp and we meet, um, Orcadius, the navigator, who's trying to work out what's happened. Uh, right. There was the, the weird thing that happened with the warp. Um, trying to get onto the page right now. This is the problem with having a flipping thing. Um, I detected a worsening of the abyssal integrity prior to the collapse, but we were already far too engaged in the warp to turn back, and strange things were going on, but they had their Gellerfield still up. Right. So, uh, so, you know, did it push through? Was there issues with it? It was a bit... 
funny. There's a, there's a lot of it, lot yeah. There was like a like the Gellerfield almost seems like they, they, they get flickered or something. Like there's something weird with it. So yeah. in that moment, was it dropped? Did something sneak in or did yeah? So the, the whole kind of the whole kind of Orcadius thing seemed a bit ham fisted in the way in the way it was dealt with. Um, excuse me, but we've uh, at, at this point we then get to see that there is an a figure. Walking around unrestricted, you know, the restricted areas on the ship. Right. So it it becomes clear that something's sneaked its way on. Right. Um, and in fact, we get then Emotep is meditating, and yet he feels there's something out there that he he. At this point, we get to see that maybe the Geller field fluctuated, but it's it's kind of only at the point that you get to Emotep that you realise that there was this fluctuation in the Geller field. Which has allowed this creature to wander the halls of the. Yes, and now Emotep senses something—a presence he's not felt since. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Had to throw that in there. Yeah. Nothing um, if not a useless pop culture reference. So. That's all good. What can we? What can we? What can go wrong there? But they make contact with the Fireblade, so. Oh, that's you know, right. This is <laughs> wait, what we've made contact with the fireblade, and it's like, wow, well, everything's going to be fine, surely. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, you know, in the, it's not only grim, dark in the far future, but they don't have movies. No, no, <laughs> they've never seen the things not to say and and things not to do in exactly because uh, situations. That ship we thought was destroyed, it's right here next to us in the warp. It made it. Isn't that awesome? It's so lucky. It's unbelievable. Um, and we get... Uh, oh, sorry, this, this is where I'm not so good with these notes, Dave. You're, you're, you're the man. Um, yeah, something, 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 something's wrong with the Largo on there, you know. Uh, I've got to learn how to take... I've taken all these notes, but I need to write them out better. Um, we have the Huntsman locating the crew member of the Fireblade. But the Fireblade's only just docked. So how does the crew member get all the way from the Fireblade to there? Dun, dun, dun! Doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> not, not, not that anyone can believe that the Fireblade should be there in the first place. But, you know, these things happen. But, but then the Fireblade opens fire. It's like, oh, it was all part of a plan and it's, <laughs> something's gone wrong. Um, and we get, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and we get the, the, the call for the space Marines to meet, to the, uh, to meet up, to, to launch an attack. Um, yeah. Oh, well, well, to launch an attack, to, to defend themselves. Cause we have this warp spawn thing that Emotep's now hunting. Right. Luckily, he meets up with Brangar and the World Eaters, and uh, they start to go through the ship, cleaning them of warp spawn, which was a cool little scene. I mean, you have these these weird uh, vampire-like warp spawn, right? Uh, a trio of them with with flails and needle-like fangs and barbed fingers and the typical way that warp. Warp spawner described in these books. Yeah, I was picturing something that's more Zinchian, I guess. 
Yeah, again, they're, they're just they're, they throw out teeth, yeah. tentacles and and whatever you want, really. Um, but you know, a, a, a bolter is always a good weapon. And yes, can, it is. They can they can keep them down. It might not be any good in the game, but they can uh, they can keep them down. But but within that, Emotep then gets that that psychic def- you know, testing of his psychic defenses as well. Right. But it's I mean. Sorry, this is where I am awful. But eventually, uh, that 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 spear thing that that Emotep's using his wand that turns into a spear turns into a spear, which is kind of I'm not too sure what to make of that. I don't got a problem with it. There, there, people have weapons like that all throughout literature. Yeah, it's cool all weapons that that pop into big weapons, and it and it smashes through a. Through through one of the warp beasts, but yeah, I thought I thought it was a, it was an interesting little fight. Um, you have you have the world eaters. Yeah, <laughs> Bringar's kind of watching him all the time while he's fighting them. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's right. So sorry. Yeah. So because because uh, I've I skipped past it. Him saying he kind of goes to seal himself off, doesn't he? To protect the rest of the ship, right? To to face off against these warp beasts, uh, and Brigard's like, "Oh, he's going to use his psychic powers," Ooh. but he gets the job done. Yeah, uh, and at that point, they're like, "Oh, he lives," and he's like, "Yeah." Brigard's again. There's there's only one way he could have got out: sorcery, sorcery, which takes us into chapter eight. Yep. So. I like that part where you saved everybody, though. That was one of the cooler parts in the book. It was cool. It was cool. I, I, it was noble. Again, it was Imhotep being awesome. Yeah. I mean, their, their magic powers, their psychic powers are pretty cool, especially in the book. Cause in the book, they can do anything. They just look at stuff and crap burns and explodes. It's just freaking awesome. It gets crazier and crazier when you read later books. But Yeah, yeah those big tentacly things. I, I will apologize for you guys. I hope... Um, David and I are sharing the workload on this to try and get these out a bit more, and I'm not as quite as uh, used to to doing this kind of stuff as David is. I'm more the uh, color commentator. No worries. <laughs> we'll be. Uh, I'll be working hard on it. Don't you worry. So, so yeah, we had that that big fight. You know, loads of bulk guns, big tently yep. demon things causing problems, and Emotep. Oh. Being, and hey, my trick with the notes, as I just, I know everyone says they're kind of thorough. I try to go through and just kind of make sure I at least hit all the points. Because if I'm not quoting the book, I'm not. I don't have it next to me because right. I've got it in my notes. You know, so it's just like that's what I'm doing. But so here, like, like here for chapter eight. Let's see. Uh, Zadkill's watching the computer simulation of the Abyss's attack. I'm telling you, forty nine percent casualties on McCrag's orbital defenses, seventy five percent from the orbital fleet, and ninety three percent of the population. If the plan goes off correctly, that's what'll happen. Yep. We finally get to see the plan. Yep. So, yeah. Well, at least what the plan is going to do. We still don't know the plan. I thought the plan was actually kind of clever. Yeah, we we get to see the 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 the, the goal. Yeah, but uh, so Bringar and Skrull are arguing with Cestus and Antiges because Motep used magic, and he yeah. shows up while they're arguing. He found a weak fuel link and used it to burn everything. And Bringar basically calls him a liar and attacks him. 
Yep, because uh, all space wolves are feral animals. Yes, because they can't. Yeah, exactly. He can't control himself. You're a liar. I have to kill you. Cestus hey. knocks him off of him. Antigues blocks Scrawl. Scrawl is annoyed but stands down. I kind of laughed at that because I'm just like, oh, see, there is some brotherhood there. He's not going to attack another space marine for no reason, <laughs> even though he's a world eater. But that's not what that's not the people he attacks. So Bringar is livid and Cestus stops him. He's like, I'm in charge and stand down battle brother. And he says, you're no brother of mine. And he spits on the floor and leaves. And Skrull goes with him. And Emotep says, thanks. And Cestus says, don't thank me. You go to your room and you stay there until yeah. I straighten this out. Think about what you've done. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, literally, he sends him to he sends him to confinement. Yeah, confined to quarters. But we get to go and see Zadkiel again. Oh yeah, um, Zadkiel talks to the Seventh Company, gives another speech. The warp has aided us. It may show you things. Stay wary. Trust the word. Don't risk your destruction. So. Even the warp is dangerous to them, even though they're friends with it. It's a dangerous thing. You know, you may have a couple of pet tigers, but if one mauls you one day, you don't act like you didn't know what might happen. Yeah. So they're docking for repairs. Yeah. A lucky hit from the Waning Moon Lances has cut off the engineering teams from the Furibus's stores of fuel oil, as well as rupturing the primary coolant line. So the biggest ship in the world has one coolant line which is near enough to the outside of the ship to be hit by a lucky shot from the waning moon. Yeah. Okay. That's why he was in the front. See what happened was? Yeah. Let me explain this to you. The ship opens up. The book opens up, right? And the gun's in there. The big gun. Remember the big gun? So before the big gun rolls forward, it's not like it's set up right tight against the edges because that would get all scrapey and stuff. So that part is sort of sealed out. So he got a shot in right into the gap. Just for the gun. Yeah, it was a lucky shot. Okay, lucky shot is lucky. So it goes through the gap, then manages to break through something in the way and gets right to that thing. Now, that, if that gun, if that gun hadn't been, if the book hadn't been opened and the really long gun, because it can get really deep into the ship, going down the length of the really long gun before it extends out, it can get there. And it does the blow up and then damages that. And it didn't get to the thing. It did enough damage to block it off. So that, And you can't get to that and fix it. You know, you, you got to stop. You got to pull over. You can't fix the flat while you're driving. There are points in this book where I, I'm beginning to think that an alien spaceship's going to come down and the main character's going to jump on it and zoom around and then drop off because, you know, life of Brian, they couldn't work out how to get him from the top of the tower to the bottom of the tower. So they let Terry Gilliam go mad. And you, just, you know, we need to get them to a dock. How should we do it? Coolant line broke from a lucky hit. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 pushing me. It's it's the build up of all these things. It's like you can get away with one or two things, but he just seems to rely on a lot of. There's a lot of Deus Ex going on here, but you know, hey ho. So, there we go. And there's at one point here, he he almost comes across a Zadkiel in all of his talking as an evil mastermind with loads of minions, but when he when he's doing his speeches, this is like I'm like. I've almost got like a picture of some bloke there and all his little minions are all in front of him. Yeah, every single one of those minions is a space marine. Yeah. And almost every time I'm listening to the to the 
church speeches, I forget that he's talking to space marines. It just seems a bit, yeah. But there we go. It's, it's you know, because here's the thing. I know he, what you're trying to do. He's preachy. He follows the word. He's supposed to be like, you know, they're trying to put him in that weird preacher telling the gospel sort of mode. But it's 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 such a I mean so much of the basic platitudes of yeah. I and mean if you break it down and took out any of the sort of forty k talk trust in the word it will lead us we have I mean there's nothing there's nothing of substance in his speeches and that's part of the problem is he's not saying anything that's stirring or moving he's just it, repeating mantras yeah and then and then you attend the church of exposition exactly. And then on top of that, oh yeah, why? Yeah, this—that's what I've written down. Why can there have just been a malfunction of a piece of equipment? It's a brand new shop, a ship, brand new out of out of warp, out of um the 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 base. You know, first couple of warp journeys in their first ship. You didn't have to have a lucky hit from the waiting moon. It could have been like, yeah, this wasn't calibrated quite right. We need to stop and do it. Well, then you're putting question the um... Mars. Yeah, he can question Mars. It's, yeah, he hasn't had a test run. But don't the I mean, wouldn't I mean? I just would assume that they would know how to make a ship, even though it's just really big. Oh yeah, yeah. But everyone knows how to make boost. It's the first ship of this type that's ever been made. That's true. And you know, whenever anyone does anything, nothing, nothing ever works perfectly. First point. I'm not saying a major thing. Well, you know, just that a a malfunction that means they have to go to a dock to sort it out would have been more plausible than a lucky hit. From Either the way. Having the doc. Oh, it just happened to break down now, so they have time to catch up to us. Yeah. We, we, at this point, there's so much nonsense with the book that this one point, we'd have given a grief either way, I think. Fair enough. Okie dokie. Um, so then, what of Wasoric? Who's Wasoric? Did I miss something? Hey, by the way, did anybody, did you know who Wasoric was? Is this a character I should have known, but don't? No. Okay, so it's just it's just the nameless, or the demon, not nameless demon, the, the named, we don't know what. Yeah. So Lorgar chose him because... No one other than Lorgar is more dedicated to the word. Uh, I'm not necessarily buying this. I've got an issue with I've got an issue with your. Um, I was just read, reading on. I've got an issue with your your analogy of how the damage happened. The coolant leak is to the side of the uh, it's down the side of the ship. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. Okay, so I'm not dead. Set. You're see. It, maybe he's not like straight down the gun port. Maybe the waning moon was a little off to the side, so he shot at the gun port. So he went through the center, but at a slight angle to go more to the side. That's why there's the structure thing there. And if you, all you got to do is if you re-rip the encryption code, reroute the encryption codes through the hard drive and not the mainframe, it, it, this could happen. Okay, I'm just saying. I'm, hard science, baby. Hard science. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. He rerouted the encryption codes. That's all you got to say. That's what they tell they ever say on Star Trek. If there's a problem, you just reroute the encryption codes. Listen, it works. Okay. So I'm not necessarily buying that this guy where Zed Kielsen is saying Lorgar chose him because no one other than Lorgar was more dedicated to the word. I mean, that could explain why he's such an ass. But his, 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 his little pompous nobody's more dedicated to this than me. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah. Uh, now Kaminska calls Cestus to the bridge. Uh, she spotted a coolant leak on the bridge. That was the line. That's an eagle eye of Kaminska. She, hey, the abyss. 
Yeah, they had they, a coolant leak. They're going to have to dock on that twenty odd kilometer long vessel. <laughs> Spotted a coolant leak in air leak because they've only got one coolant um, <laughs> coolant line, and that coolant line is leaking. <laughs> and they yeah. obviously haven't rerouted the encryption codes, so they must have to dock. There's only one place it can dock. So now we're going to plan. And then we get into Chapter 9 with the plan. Uh, yeah. Um, it's, <laughs> it starts in um, Chapter 8, doesn't it? Because there's three three assault boats head out from the launch bays of the raffle. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I'm totally and- sorry. I skipped part of my notes. I was so excited to get to the next chapter. And they did so with stealth and subterfuge. Um, oh, Just yeah. to make sure that you know that they were being stealthy and subterfuge But not only that, I totally skipped where Corferon talks to... Uh, oh, yeah, so did I. Yeah, I mean, I'm, seriously, I, I, it, was, it was the other side of the page. I had some more notes. I guess I should, shouldn't say we're in Chapter 9 yet. Um, the supplicant sneered in an echo of Corferon's idiosyncratic expression. He says, um, the warp's disquiet would prevent any warning for getting from a crack. I disagree. Any deviation from the plan as it's written holds a potential for disaster. The entire word could go disobeyed. Okay, now I'm confused. Lorgar has seen the future in his travels and his discussions with the outer, with the, with the chaos gods, or what we know as the chaos gods. Um, they've shown him the future, and he's seen it, and he's writing it down. So how is it possible to deviate from the plan? And how can deviating from the plan bring disaster when he's seen that it's already happened? This whole thing is just, the whole Book of Lorgar thing has always kind of bothered me ever since I heard about it for the first time in the opening trilogy of books. The Book of Lorgar itself doesn't bother me. This this book in the way it handles it bothers me. Because it's like a playbook is what it sounds like. In this book, certainly, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's not dealt with quite the same way in any of the others. But. Yeah, so so they send Ultus to lead a group down there. Soon Gilliman will burn and Lorgar will rule the stars. Uh, I have a question about that. Is that a slip? I mean, won't Horus rule the stars? Or are there other plans at work going on here? Because he literally says Lorgar will rule the stars. He, well, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, I didn't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into that. There are lots of different. I mean, we've already seen Erebus try and use things the way he wanted to use them, and Horus slamming down and saying no. So you know, Erebus's motives aren't the same as Horus's motives, um, and we've already seen that some of the demons have different motives as well. We're just seeing that as soon as you break from that brotherhood, you know, it's kind of all. We're just seeing more of it being all about people looking for their own bit of power. Right. So I think it's just built into that. So uh, the Rathrow breaks warp with the Fireblade, destroys the Fireblade, dumps all their dead, and comes up to this place, which is a gas giant bigger than Jupiter with rings deadlier than Saturn's. Um, people live on some of the moons. Each of it is the size. Each moon is the size of Terra, and it's livable. So each one's a planet full of people. The 14th moon is a huge orbital dock, and that's where they're going to go. Um, they're stealthy, stealthy assault boats. Um, they just say that they managed to get there without being noticed, which is quite amazing, bearing in mind that they know they're following them. 
and they have things called sensors. But hey ho. Well, that they might have been a problem. You know, hey, sometimes you got some bad weather. You know, they couldn't see the Necronomicon, the, not the not the Necronomicon, the Astronomicon. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so maybe they can't see them. I'm hey, okay, so. The three salt bolts go. Skrull goes with the world eaters in the lead. Bringar is with the space marines. Antigues is with the other world eaters. Right, Bringar is with space wolves, not space marines. Well, same thing. Antigues is uh, with the other world eaters. Uh, he argued his way into the lead instead of Cestus. Cestus can't go on this mission because he's got to lead the thing. So It was the, uh, the Bruce Willis moment in Armageddon. Kind of, yeah. No, actually, no, because that was where he sucker punches him yeah. and, and leaves him in it. That's they they saved that for later. In fact, that was my exact analogy. Actually, yes, they and do. I was going to avoid it because I'm like that movie is so cheesy. I love that movie. Don't don't. Oh, I do too. I own it, and everyone makes fun of me. I made the kids watch it less than like six months ago because they'd never I, seen it, and they were mad at me. They're like, "Oh, dad, that was terrible." I'm like, "I know, but it's so wonderful too." It's brilliantly terrible. Exactly. Uh, but yeah. Um, so they're yeah, going to get in there with Kraken eggs and melt bombs Yeah, and exactly. they're going to bring the ship down with Kraken eggs and melt bombs once they get in. That's the plan. But yeah, hey, that's what. Hey, that was the plan on the dock. Yes, and yes. and look, when they showed up, the 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 the, the core was it was nice enough to implode. So maybe <laughs> if they go in here with Kraken eggs and melt bombs, it could work too. Yeah, it worked last time, but we get that nice cheesy. Uh, it would do me great honor to have you, brother, and, and TG's as my representative. Yes. Watch him on the shoulder. The shoulder. So then I'll, to his knee again. Uh, and TG's bowed to his knee. They're all bowing. Everyone's bowing. Well, he's bowing to his superior. That's not uncommon for the Space Marines to bow to all the other and legions. I don't bow to their superior. No, like to Primarchs and stuff. Ah, okay. Well, he's that's true. He's superior. He's not like five levels above him. Yeah, it's, Maybe um, Antigis is trying to show... Maybe he, too, he can learn. He's learned from Cestus. He's learned you. humility. Yeah, by bowing when he didn't have to. See, he's learned humility. That's it. That's why. That's why he had to bow in the beginning, setting this up now. That healing of that rift from earlier. See, it's, dude, this is pretty complex. So, Altus and his crew order the workers on the dock to get to work. I, we don't care if you have orders or not. Fix this damn ship. Uh, he's in his starties, so they say okay. Um. And then we get to Chapter 9. I apologize. Now we're on Chapter 9 when the Astartes start to go after the Abyss yeah. while it's a dock. But so then, go ahead. They, they docked quickly without incident, having avoided radar and long-range scans. Yep. No explanation of how they did that, but they did it. Uh, do, I have to, <laughs> hey, do I have to explain everything? And they, then, they then make their way stealthily to the Abyss whilst on this uh, moon. You've read uh, Dune, right? <laughs> Yeah, a long time ago. You know yeah. how they have to walk without that rhythmic pattern so as not to attract a sandworm? Yeah. That Maybe that's it. That's the shuffle, shuffle, sidestep, shuffle that keeps them out of the radar and the sonar and the and the every R, and then they can walk right up. It's the This was the bit where it's like, you know, they've got bandoliers of crack grenades, which you don't need because crack grenades work different, blah, 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 and metal bombs, and it is like, you know, it's like Predator at the moment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're just walking across there. They're going to make you a sexual Tyrannosaurus, just like me. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and and try and uh, force their way onto the ship, uh, uh, which, you know, again, 
yeah, they've got to do it. They're space marines. They're going to go for it. But you would have thought that the word bearers would be ready for this. Um, well, they were set up somewhere else. See, you know. Yeah, that whole ship full of world eaters who had nothing to do but go to the Church of Exposition. Um, the word bearers, yes. They, hey, they got jobs to do. They're at dock. While they're at dock, they're getting things, you know, making sure everything's ready, making sure everything's ready to go. Oh, I forgot to say as well, in that bit, you've had the little chat with Kaminska um, where we find out that the whole of the Saturn fleet was just about to be decommissioned. They only had 48 hours before they were going to hand in their badge. Oh, so this is like one final mi- Oh, it's the final mission, too, for this ragtag bunch of people that happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. This is the final run. It's yes. got everything. This book has everything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, Seriously, uh, all we need is like a, we need a, a. Oh, I'm trying to think of who was it who did the music for like RoboCop. Oh, why am I blanking on the guy who did the music for RoboCop? The original back in the '80s. We need a soundtrack by him, and it'll be perfect. Um. Oh my God, I can't think of his name now. I'm so mad at myself. Okay, whatever. Let's just finish up chapter nine. Then yeah, we, we finish get- chapter ten and get a break. We get Skrull. Um, we get actually quite a half-decent description of uh, how the, the World Eaters tap into the boiling rage of their their um, implants to go and fight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that which, actually is kind of cool. Yeah, which is cool. I thought it was quite quite well done, to be honest. Um, again, there are elements, there are like little sections of this book which are well-written, and I... And actually, I've read other Ben Counter stuff, which isn't badly written. I just don't know with what quite. I don't know if he tried something in this book and didn't achieve it. Um, but we get we we actually get the big fight actually, like on foot. You know, the world eaters going into the word bearers and and chopping stuff up. Yeah, and then they. Uh... Well, they. I mean, to be fair, that. The, <laughs> this is the one point where the word bearers do kind of block their path when they didn't realize they were there. They weren't that stealthy. <laughs> but um, we get the, the massive fight and and uh, big explosion of the, of the drums, which causes everything to go a bit wrong. And, oh, yeah, uh, the explosion. The, yeah, the, uh, the, 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 the ultramarines and the, and the space wolves have to go and try and help their brothers out. Oh, that's right, 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 right. Because, <clears throat> excuse me, but we oh there was oh yes no here we um, there was one like, we actually started to get eighties action hero lines in there as well at one point. Oh, I stopped with that stuff because it was just getting silly. <laughs> there was there was a couple of like little one liners that you would expect from a Simpsons episode about action films, you know. Um, yeah, but bless them. But yeah, we 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 get Antigua's squad pinned down, trying to help out. Um, but thankfully, I believe the space wolves make it. Yeah, I think so. So where are we? Oh, this is that's where I'm going. Sergeant, yeah, Bringar hefted his belt of frag grenades and comes in and saves the day. But it's all looking pretty bad. But we get it's it's very bolter porn, isn't it? These fights. Yeah. Um, That's right, because of the struts on the platform. Okay, right. So then I think we're almost at Chapter 10 at that point, aren't we? We are. It's, it's, uh, at that point, like, the, blood claws coming, uh, the, the blood claws coming in with Bringard to save 
the rest of the guys. Um, and back to the wrathful with Cestus wearing a pained expression as he can't help his men as he stands and they're, oh, they're going to die. I should be the one there, not him. I should have been there. Yeah, yeah, it was my uh-huh. duty. Exactly. Into chapter 10. Into chapter 10. And let's, I'm going to give you, let's, let's okay. Here's what happens in the battle. Yeah. Antigues is saved by Skrull and his men, and they are butchering the enemy. Like, Antigues is a dead man. I mean, literally, bad guy foot, no, not literally, but bad guy foot on his chest, gun pointing in his face, monologuing. Yeah. And then Skrull and his men show up, and they butcher these guys. And it upsets Antigues how, how, vis- how they dismember these guys. Uh, what basically happens then is that the Space Wolves kill a whole bunch of the Word Bears, and the Word Bears kill a whole bunch of Space Wolves, and then the World Eaters kill a whole bunch of Word Bears, and then the Word Bears kill a bunch of the wor- World Eaters, and then they're right by the Furious Abyss, the World Eaters and Antigues, and they actually, like, you know, sort of like Luke Skywalker under the AT-AT, they get and cut a hole in and jump in the ship. And 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 did they do? They cut a hole in the ship and jump in. They're like, screw this, we're going in the ship. Uh, bring- That's why the coolant got hit because the armor can be cut by a bloke. <laughs> okay, right. There you go. Yeah. That, I'm telling you, that weak spot in the front, right we through. Were- maybe that's where they jumped in. Maybe it was yeah. that hole by the book. Maybe, or maybe they were like, you know, we asked for like plastic to be put on the end. We got paper mache. Something like that, but then Bringar's pissed because he doesn't make it. The 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 abyss takes off. Yeah, it does. And and, and that all that blue. We're gonna, let's skip the let's skip the whole engine wash thing as they run up and it goes right past them. Yeah, again that one particularly. Okay, because yeah, we had this argument in the beginning of the chapter. So, so they get in, uh, and Antigues turn out. We aren't. Of course, of course. Good thing he's there to be the logical, level-headed one with all those crazy. World leaders, we're not getting out. We're staying here and we're destroying her. And of course, everybody dies in like ten minutes of scrawl. And he's <laughs> alone, and he's like, okay, and he's just going to make as much. He's basically like, I'm never getting off this ship alive. I'm just going to break as many things as I can before is, I leave. This is the point where scrawl becomes really cool. Yes, I, I really like scrawl. Um, one thing that really just frustrated me and quite angered me reading this book was they cut their way in near the engine, near um, near one area, and yeah. everything else is really close to each other. It's like they make their way along to the engine room, and then they make their way along to a cathedral, and then they make their way along here. And I'm like, well, you know why? That's um, when they map out the ship. You know, you got all your sectors and 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 par- partials. That that he he broke into the ship right by uh, the the convenient walkway, and convenient walkway goes through any. I mean, just what, that's why they call it that. That's that's designed narrativium. Yeah, exactly. It's wherever he needs to be at the time. Yeah, exactly. he his way around this ship extremely quickly, um, which just got on my nerves, frankly. Right. But I actually asked myself at some point, like, wait a minute, I don't even know how people know what's going on anymore either. But uh, basically, they get in. Everyone dies but Skrull. And then back outside, uh, Bringar captures Ultis and, yes. and, and, and brings him in alive. So end of Chapter 10. Um, you know what? Wait, hold up. You know, why don't we do Chapter 11? 
Yeah. And that'll be halfway through, oh, just over halfway through the book. And um, we're hitting over two hours here. I think this is going to wind up being two episodes. Um, because there is, I'm, I'm kind of actually having fun talking about it now. Because the yeah. parts that are silly, you can, it's easier to commiserate after the fact with your friends on the silly parts than to actually read through them and take notes on them. Yeah, that's horrible. So, you know what? Well, why don't we do that? Why don't we do one more chapter? We'll, you take chapter 11, and then yep. we'll pop back. And we've got all the notes done. We just need to take a break because it's, it's like it's like almost 2 in the morning by you. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Probably want to get this thing rolling, and then, yeah, that'll cool. be cool. Anyway, I got to check my stuff on my Horus Heresy Drop Assault stupid iPhone game app that I've been playing. So I got to go back and check that out. Definitely. <laughs> hey, I'm not playing a Trader Legion. I'm, well, I'm not. I'm playing a Death Guard. Uh, or no, yeah, is that who they are? I'm no. Sons of Horus, and then I wanted to change it to World Eaters, and it was like loads of coins. And I'm like, I can't be asked. I'm oh. not paying any money to play this game. So wait, so you say, uh, so you started as a Trader, or or I'm the loyalist, loyalist Sons of Horus, loyalist Sons of Horus. I'm, uh, yeah, well, I'm a yeah Death Guard, Garrow's c- company. Exactly. So, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's good. Is is I quite enjoy it. Yeah. I, yeah. At, at times, I've there's been times I've wanted. I'm thinking, just just drop a quick ten bucks. Ten bucks will get me a few bumps, and I can quit being impatient. But I've been patient, and I've built up quite a thing. So I'm having fun with that game. But here, let's get to chapter eleven, and then wrap this up. So, cool. all right. So chapter eleven, survivors aftermath. I will break him. Yeah, bring off flying back into the ship i thought the um like although it's an atmospheric um ship that's had to fly around but yeah whatever um it lands steaming and everything which i think is awesome it was again there's another little really cool description of this craft landing completely buggered and um bringer kind of gets out with uh with his captive in tow and just kind of Cestus is trying to find out what's going on and he's just like yeah it failed everyone's dead yeah <laughs> he's not happy he's not an happy boy at all but uh, but within that Cestus goes okay go and talk to uh, go and talk to M- MTAP and oh take my uh, take my apothecarium with you oh yeah it's like oh this is good so they got to that point where they have to torture someone that's another tick on the uh <laughs> on the movie yeah tick list um but also actually for us for an ultramarine to do that it actually shows you that cestus is is like almost like cracking up almost he's, yeah, he's del- serious about this hey listen i yeah. know i know there's a line but the line needs to be crossed at the moment yeah and if you go and do it then i really haven't i haven't asked you how you're going to do anything but you go and talk to him. <laughs> yeah, because he know, but the thing, he knows. Yeah, he's so obvious he knows because he pretty much says like I don't really want to know, but exactly. I got to know. You go and do you go and talk to him. I don't want to know what you're doing. Yeah, to him. Um so <laughs> he goes off with the apothe- apothecary to talk to uh Motep, which is which is all fun. I mean, yeah, they, they, they've assumed everyone's dead, which is probably quite right on a ship the size of the Furious Abyss. But we get a whole section of Cestus monologuing, in, in a monologuing again. Yes. Um, which, again, is exposition, blah, blah, blah. But it does show kind of how deep things are in. 
um, I just didn't think it was particularly good. And and that that's what it comes down to with all of this. Is here's the thing: even if you're doing it tongue in cheek, there's not enough of it for me to know you're being tongue in cheek. A, yeah. B. I don't want tongue-in-cheek in my Horus heresy. I really don't. That's not why I'm reading this. I'm not reading this for a tongue-in-cheek story. No. And to 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 top everything off, um, it's just yeah, it's it's just it's just not. It doesn't fit. It it just doesn't fit on any level. So yeah, cool. so we keep going. There are some bits in it which were quite are quite deep and quite good and. The bit where Cestus now turns up to the the talk, you know, the, the interrogation, uh, and he's you know, I will speak to you again once this is over. I would know the details of what happened. Um, do only what is necessary and do it quickly. Um, it's it's an interesting, you know, even at this point, the space will stand and I will break him. Right. <laughs> Once it's don't enter, no matter what you hear or see, don't enter. Uh, do not think you can hide from me. And when his fingers penetrated the flesh, the screaming began. Yes, absolutely. So he doesn't just it got touch to the him. Point where, he no, actually it, physically digs his fingers inside this guy's body, like get that yes, much physical and, contact. Yeah, so that's Emotep eventually gets brought in, um, in to do that because again, it's. It's one it's, it's one step for Cestus to say, go and beat him up. Um, and then it's another step for them to turn up at the door of Motep and go, you know those powers that we really don't like you using that are against the Emperor's will? Okay, well, now I need you to use them. But I'm going to think you're not using them. Right. Because it, during it, it's like, yeah, you can do it. Okay, cool. And then... I don't. I don't know whether it's Cestus being. I just like, thought it was... or just not thinking that that's how it was going to happen. No, I think he knew it was going to happen. He knew, or he knew it was going to be. He knew that. Uh, I don't know if when he shows up and finds the guy a mindless, just a mindless, just basically his his mind raped and just destroyed. I don't know if he expected that that would be the outcome, but he knew what was going to happen. At this point, he's so desperate to save McCrag, he's he's yeah. he, he's going to try anything. And the fact that we threw in that little stupid vision that really doesn't didn't need to happen for him to to for for this character to go after McCrag, you could have thrown one more half a hint in what the what the astropaths interpreted, and sure. he'd have gone after it. Giving him that gives him that edge of sympathy toward. This character, um, I just like I said when he went and just literally goes and grabs, sticks his fingers in the body, like he's not just touching him; he's digging into his skin with his own hands and reaching around on his inside. Uh, actually, reminded me of this uh, series of the Necroscope, which is actually a really cool series, but it's more like weird vampires and Cthulhu stuff. But one of the guys who could read minds, one guy was a nice guy who could just read minds, and the other guy. Um, he could read my only of dead people, but he physically like would like consume their brain to to know what they knew. Um, so hey, I was reading something recently, and in fact, it might have been in this book because I don't know what the heck else I would have been reading that was that was um you know forty k related. But did they mention somewhere in this book about when they when they eat something and then they can rem- they know what it, it's what it knew? Don't uh, they? I can't remember if it was in this book, but yeah, they they can absorb. 
Well, we talked about it when the Space Marine book came out because I was like, what? You could eat the guy's flesh yeah. and then know his memories? How the hell does that work? Uh, but I think they mentioned it in this book, actually. Yeah, I think it is somewhere. Just that, okay, of all the Space Marine powers, that's the weirdest one, I think. It is very weird. It's cool, um, yeah. but weird. But, but yeah. Yeah, I do like uh, how this chapter ends. I do just, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, within that as well, you have you have one more scene on the... Uh, on the 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 abyss, um, where they're talking about Wasorak on the uh, oh yeah on the ship, and it's not appropriate to mention his name, but they seem to be preparing these bodies for uh, for a rebirth to go on. So they're obviously preparing something on the ship, right? And and they're getting slightly worried or concerned that this <laughs> this one world eater at least, is running around their ship. They have no idea where he is, and he's causing all kinds of problems. But th- you know what? That w- I would. That's actually smart. Like, you better be worried. There is a, there is a, there is a really pissed-off world eater in your ship, and his only purpose on your ship is to stop your ship. The most destructive of all the space marines. And, and and a really you know a particularly vicious one is on your ship tearing stuff up downstairs, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's just. But uh, so that's uh, that is where chapter eleven ends, and I think that's where we're gonna have to call it for this episode. Yeah. So, folks, um, contest is still open. The contest for the for the copy of Space Hulk. Um, please keep entering. Please keep doing stuff. We've gotten some cool entries. Someone sent us a meme, I think. I, yeah, yeah. I haven't looked through them properly yet because I was going to do it before um, kind of do it all at the same yeah. time. But yeah. um, we'll, we'll announce that one. I don't even remember what we said, but it should, let's make it the, uh, the it's going to be the feedback episode for this one, right? They'll give them time. Yeah, that's, that's quite a lot of time, yeah. Or, or we could or, no, no. We just make it next episode. It's your uh, call. Yeah. yeah. Well, with the frequency of our episodes, next episode might be three weeks. So, yeah, okay. Next episode then. So you still got time, a couple of weeks, a few weeks. We'll be back in March with the other part of this probably is my guess. By the time I can't record next weekend, and then even the weekend after that's my birthday. And then uh, it'll Works. take me a couple of days to put it out. So. It Works. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, folks, we're halfway through the battle for the abyss. We've, we're, we're battling. We're battling through it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> that's what it, the battle through the abyss. That should be our, our, our uh, that'll be the title for the feedback episode. It is unfortunate that abyss becomes abysmal quite easily. <laughs> it doesn't help. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, well, folks, um, hope you're enjoying this. Um, you know, and we're giving it a lot of stick, and it kind of deserves it because it—I mean, it doesn't. I don't. It just after what we've read. Because seriously, reading this again really makes me appreciate Descent of Angels. Yeah, yeah. you know, and because that was the one I was like, mm, it, actually, I never, I didn't hate it. I just was pissed that it they it ended in the middle, and it wasn't a follow up for like six more books. We, we, I think we we're trying to pick out cool bits of the book, right? But in general, the book's not very good. Yeah. Either. 
But and you know the story, whatever. I'm you know I'm kind of having fun. Like I said, I, I, I it was it, once when I was done reading it, I wish you would have said something. Once you said '80s action picture, that sort of made it a little more fun. Like I'm I'm finding all those things in it, and at least I'm enjoying it for that. It does make me that's what it meant to be. Yeah, but it's it's made even worse by by the end of the time we get to the end of the book. You know, the book need not have happened. So. Yeah, that, it, yeah, that. Well, I even had some questions about that. Like, I, I mean, next episode, we'll get to those questions next episode. And folks, until our next episode, the emperor protects. Death to the false emperor! Congratulations on completing another episode of After Earth. David and Greg would love you to come and chat some more about the Horus Heresy in the forums at garagehammer.net/forum or on the Facebook page. Just search for After Earth. You can email us if you wish at greg at garagehammer.net or david at garagehammer.net. Finally, you can catch us on Twitter at After Ulnor, at Child of Fang for Greg, and at Garagehammer for David. If you'd like to support the show, you can visit the support page on the main website at garagehammer.net and you can leave a positive review on iTunes. In addition, you can tell all your friends to come and join the community. Many thanks for listening and until the next episode, may the Emperor protect you.